that when you kept coming by so often, I couldn't help but think it wasn't just the cheese you liked, but maybe you sort of liked me too. Not at all. Hello and welcome to Ramjack and the lore of the Legacy Bucket. Hello, my name is Jonathan Pernasek, standing in once again for an MIA Alex Green. And over there in sunny, sunny Florida is Brad Couples. Brad, give it to us. What's the weather like? All right. First of all, Jonathan, I think I've realized not only um, do I hate the sun, it got up to about 90 today, I think I'm allergic to the sun. In what way? Um, do you remember last year when I suffered with a bout of uh, Magma Man Syndrome? Yes, Iron Man 3 Syndrome, as yes, it's yes. more commonly known. <laughs> and I began uh, breaking out in hives, and like my face was swelling up. This afternoon, about 4 o'clock, uh, my lips just started swelling up. Apropos of nothing, except a really sunny, warm day. <laughs> the only contributing factor in both situations I... was a beautiful golden day. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I like honestly, I hadn't eaten anything, so I, I I I don't know what set this off, but like yeah, up until about, I mean, I took some Benadryl, took a little nap, uh, uh, but still, and at like seven o'clock, my my lips were still a little swollen. Yeah, you are definitely having some sort of reaction. As and the last time this happened, was it around the same time in the calendar year? Uh yeah, it was like around last uh, June, July, so. That? I mean, I, I'm allergic to the sun, guys. I don't just hate it. I'm also allergic to the sun. Not only does Brad hate the sun, but the sun hates Brad. Mm. I believe there's an ancient African folktale known as <laughs> Brad and the Sun, or how Brad came to hate the sun <laughs> and acquire his spots on his lip. <laughs> Brad, we have a lot to unpack today. Indeed. The last time I spoke with you... I broke down the upcoming slate of Hollywood's best and brightest. (laughs) The movies that you want to see, the movies that you don't want to see, and the movies you think to yourself, oh, that's a thing. Well, it also applies to television. Uh, Lately, the the big four, the big four networks are coming out with their big announcements regarding what's been canceled, what's been renewed, and also more importantly, what shows will be canceled next year. We got a lot of shows coming out specifically from NBC, and that network always, it never ceases to amuse me, I should say, because their idea of what America wants to see (laughs) consistently every year is just utterly baffling sometimes it works the sound of music which we covered when that aired that apparently was a big uh, rating success so this year they're giving us peter pan live oh wow wow and, and they've already announced that the year after that we'll be getting the music man live wow yeah okay. peter pan's gonna be fascinating <laughs> yeah it is That is just one of the many special events that they have on tap. I just want to give you, real quick, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just want to get your gut reactions. I'm going to pitch these shows to you. Bring it. So just imagine that you're Mr. Peacock of the NBC network. Okay. And I'm a young, fresh-faced kid coming in with all of these new TV show ideas. And I want you to say to me, greenlight it or get the fuck out of my office, essentially. Uh, question first, how many of these shows is Kelsey Grammer going to be on? You know, he's having a busy summer at the Multiplex, but, you know, come fall, they're not going to have him on our small screens. All right, all right, all right. Sounded good already? Mm-hmm. Yes, I can assuredly make that known to you. 
<laughs> I think did Kelsey Grammer try to have another TV show? He had like one. Of, he had some uh, either Showtime or uh, oh yeah or HBO had, show that was. Uh, he had Boss. Yeah. Which was, uh, yeah, some sort... It was like the Stars Network or something. Right. People say it was good. Um, it's Kelsey Grammer. I'm not going to watch it, because fuck I've had that the, asshole. I've had the first season sitting on my shelf for over a year, because my parents thought I wanted it for Christmas. I, I told them, hey, you can get anything from this Amazon wish list, and somehow... <laughs> A boss appeared under the Christmas tree. Oh, hello, Kelsey Grammer. Your pockmarked, angry face seems to tell me that violence is in my future. <laughs> I also think that he, he must have had some sort of aborted, failed sitcom post Frasier, but who knows? I mean, I, I <laughs> will never know. Yeah. So here is what I got for you, uh, Mr. Peacock. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a new show that we want to pitch you. It's called State of Affairs, and it's all about the intrigue, the tension, and the suspense of what happens day in and day out in a little place known as the White House. These never work. Stop trying to make them. I haven't watched Veep. I hear Veep is great, but it's the only one. Fuck. What was that show they did like a year or two ago? That was, like, set in the White House. But it was oh, a sitcom. Oh, oh, the, uh, the sitcom was 1600 Pennsylvania. Ugh. Or Pennsylvania 1600. It was a title no one wants to say out Wait, loud. Wait, no, no, wasn't that, like, the, wasn't that, like, the mystery show that was, like, Terry O'Quinn? I'm pretty sure the sitcom with that guy from the Book of Mormon was called something to the effect of 1600. Okay. It had a non-comedic, very clumsy title. Yeah, it, that was honestly like I mean I can I there's a lot of hyperbole coming out of going to be coming out of me I'm sure, but that was honestly one of the worst sitcoms I have ever seen in my life. Oh, I'm sure. I didn't even give it my patented three strikes rule. I thought to myself, no, that's a whiff. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't dip in. But Brad, State of Affairs is not a wacky sitcom. It is a simmering boilerplate drama, Brad. Oh. And I don't, I don't think you understand. We've got a big star invested for this show. Kevin Brad. Spacey? No, not Brad. Oh. Come on now. We're NBC, not Netflix. We don't actually oh, know right. how to do television. That's right. <laughs> so instead, we've got... I'm not quite familiar with who the actress is who plays the president, but the president is a black woman. Think about that, Brad. A black woman in the White House? Already, it's, it's, it's busting down the doors and bashing down the walls of your preconceptions. It's not. But what if I told you that we got Katherine Heigl to play the head of the CIA? That's right, Brad. Beautiful, sexy, confident, charming personality, like a delicious chocolate melting on your tongue. Katherine Heigl. She's loved by all. Babies love her. They don't run. Old people love her. They don't die in her wake. And she plays a CIA operative, if not the head of the CIA. Yeah. I'm a little fuzzy on that detail. No, thanks. But it's about a relationship, a contentious one, I'm sure, uh. but one wrought with respect with the black lady president. No, thank you. All right, all right, Brad. So we'll pass on that one. But what about this? How about a dramedy? Okay, so we had a drama. What about a dramedy called uh. The Mysteries of Laura? Hmm? Women? It's about a... <laughs> <laughs> I would love an, I would love God, a 45 yes. minute TV show where Laura Wimsett has to solve murders <laughs> it's it's basically murder she wrote it's a complete ripoff yes. but her inability to solve any murder and her I don't want to get involved in this murder but I happened to notice this bird it was walking in a circle I wonder why Laura you've solved it <laughs> You maniac! It turns out you found the evidence. My Bye. dog Daisy was running around near the roots of an old elm tree and found a body. 
<laughs> she just it's... stumbles into the solutions to crimes haphazardly <laughs> while navigating meaningless trivialities. I sat down in a rocking chair at the <laughs> Cracker Barrel, a rocking chair soaked with blood. <laughs> No, 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 Brad. This doesn't star Laura Wimsett. It stars Deborah Messing. You know, of Will and Grace fame? No. Of Smash fame? No. Brad, let me tell you what it's about before you reject it wholesale. Laura is a cop who is also a mom. Oh, fuck no. So she's having to get the kids' lunches ready, while at the same time solving a homicide. (laughs) She's got a gun in one hand and a blow dryer in the other. Can one woman with red hair have it all? Nope. Nope. No, thank you. We tried. We're trying so hard, Deborah. We we put you in Smash. It didn't work. And apparently NBC thought to themselves, we will make it work. Oh, boy. Okay, Brad. Now, you've rejected my drama. You've, re- you've rejected my drama D. How about a full-out, balls-to-the-wall, belly-laugh comedy? All right, what have you got? What have you got? Okay, in the grand tradition of Bad Teacher, which was a TV show that got canceled this year, and Bad Grandpa, which is a film that is apparently funny, but I refuse to watch it on principle, and Bad Santa, and Bad Words, and Horrible Bosses, comes, wait for it, Bad Judge. That's right, Brad. It's a comedy all about a judge who's a lady, and she's sassy and a drunk and loves sex and cigarettes. And she's kind of she's kind of amoral for a judge. It's you know you expect a judge to be a little old man with stalwart principles, but she is a drunken mess. So it's Judge Judy, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Wait, um, are we saying Judge Judy's a big alcoholic sex fiend? Ah, <laughs> uh, she could eh. be. Like, is it that much of a stretch? No. I mean, I don't think you were breaking down any any barriers. I could see her getting up to uh, some naughty business in those chambers. <laughs> Come back to my chambers. Okay, ah. A question. Yes. Um, it, let's let's assume this show uh, makes it a full season. Sure. Um, uh, how how far in before Judge Judy does make a guest appearance? Uh, episode four. All right, all right. Episode four. I was gonna. I'll say in the pilot. It sounds like you want to see this show. I think you're putting the stamp on this. I'm. I'm you know what? Who's who do we have in, in the lead on this? It's a woman whose face I do not recognize. <laughs> well, then I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Catherine Eigel and it's not Deborah Messing. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> now how about a horror film with, with light comedic undertones, but a horror film series, eh? And when I say horror film series, apparently I'm c- creating a new genre. <laughs> it's a series that's also a horror film. No, no, no. Do you remember the film Constantine? Starring one Keanu Reeves. Oh, let's uh, let's not talk about the film, Constantine. Yes, let's not talk about the film, because it's on the small screen now, Constantine. <sighs> the television series! You know, like, I've read a couple of the comics back in the day. Mm-hmm. It, it could be really good, I just don't trust NBC to do it really good. NBC seems to really be obsessed with genre television, because the CW seems to be finding more success with it. <laughs> Because Arrow's fucking awesome and The Flash will be the greatest show ever. Well, they have Arrow, they're going to get The Flash, they have The Vampire Diaries and that spinoff. So, and and NBC has Grimm, which is apparently a fairly small success for a big four network show. Mm -hmm. And I think Constantine is their further attempts to chase that dragon. I, uh... I saw the trailer for it. Most of the trailers online, what's so bizarre about them is that they give you the entire first episode in four minutes. Mm Mm-hmm. Meaning that you'll never want to actually sit down and watch 45 minutes of it. Constantine does not look good. It's this bad balance of smarmy humor mixed with special effects that are just this shy of decent. Uh. 
So uh, even as I come to you, Mr. Peacock, I, I realize that this Constantine show is probably not long for this world. Yeah, I, I, unfortunately, uh, yeah, I, I don't I'm, think so. I've got a few more for you, though. Hold on. All right, this Peacock is hungry. I know that you're a fan of the X-Files. You help... Co- you Let's host- not say that. Well, you're enough I'm a person. A fan. I'm a person that's being forced to watch the X-Files every week. What, forced at gunpoint? Well, I... Is there a knife in the small of it your back? It feels like it sometimes. <laughs> well, as a person who watches the X-Files, I'm sure you're very familiar with one David Duchovny. Oh, worst fucking actor on the planet, David Duchovny. No, no shush, shush, Brad. We, we, he, was, he found success post the X-Files in a little series called Californication, huh? Big success. Everyone's talking about it. He's back, Brad. He's back. I'm already saying no. I, like, you can tell me whatever this show is. It could be the best premise on the fucking planet, but I'm what not. If... I will never watch that man act again after I finish X-Files. Brad, have you ever heard of a little series called Mad Men? Uh-huh. Mad Men is very popular right now because it gives us a glimpse into an era that we know absolutely nothing about. It's called the 60s. Everyone loves the 60s. We're a buzz. What happened back then? What did people wear? How were women uh, reduced? And we have to know the answers to these questions. We're going to get them in a show called Aquarius, where David Duchovny plays a detective stalking a man who we will now know as, uh, as Charles Manson. But no one knows Charles Manson is Charles Manson yet. Huh? It's a prequel show. Are you fucking serious? It's called Aquarius, and it takes place in the broiling heat of the 60s. Hippies! Uh, uh, Pot! Black people! I mean, first of all, Hmm? uh, it's a real person. Like, you can't... I know. You can't make a shitty TV... Like, I... I just think that's just hugely questionable. I don't know if Duchovny's playing a real detective from that era, or if it's... What I really wanted to be reading the premise of this online, I kept thinking to myself, it would be so insane if they, like, stopped Charles Manson before he committed these murders, and then from that point on, it was an alternate reality show. I mean... Where the history of the United States was just completely different. And the question is, like, are they just going to make Manson, like, like the most terrible, terrible, horrific, over-the-top monster there is? That, are they going to try to humanize him? Are we ever going to sympathize for Charles Manson? It's such a prequel show, just so you know, that Marilyn Manson is trying to get into music when the show starts. Or Charles Manson. What did I say? Marilyn Manson. I almost said Marilyn Manson when I first started talking about it. I want the show to be about David Duchovny hunting down Marilyn Manson. Freeze! (laughs) I get a tip that he might be the guy on Wonder Years. Turns out it was completely wrong. (laughs) You inspired Bowling for Columbine. The documentary? (laughs) Yes! Freeze! Is that David Duchovny? No. I'm a detective. Um, Brad? I, for, oh, on. fuck. Fuck no. First of all, David Duchovny. I don't know what the hell was going on in the 90s. Like, when, we when loved David him. Duchovny was a thing. But David Duchovny, and you, Jonathan, you know, I give actors all the benefit of the doubt in the world. You do. I will say, I will always say it's the prob- the bigger problem is almost always the script. David Duchovny is a garbage actor. <laughs> he is a bit sleepy, isn't he? Oh, I can't. No. Fuck the... Everyone involved in this gets set on fire. <laughs> Brad, I understand. I, I'm, I'm sweating a little bit because I was told that if I didn't sell at least TV, two TV shows to you today, that I, I would personally be fired. I mean, I'm the new guy in the building. I'm, I'm schwitzing a little bit. I'm hoping this next one will be the clincher. I need peacock food. <laughs> what? <laughs>
feed this peacock. What have you got? I thought you were like yelling at your secretary. I need peacock food. <laughs> Get in here. Sarah, this peacock is hungry. <laughs> I speak of myself in the third peacock. <laughs> Get in here and chew up my food and then spit it into my open beak. <laughs> Brad, okay, so, Constantine, not your cup of tea, but I've got another entry in the high genre concept uh, field, okay? It's, it's a great show. Okay, so, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bury the lead, all right? So, we got, we got this woman, right? She's in her late 20s. She's a little, uh, let's say she's kind of confused about where her life is going. She's a cop, and she's got to solve a murder, and she's... Is she a mom? Mm, I, that I do not know. Is, <laughs> I'm she, gonna assume, is she a local no. columnist? No, she is okay, not. This right. is not another Laura Wimsett pitch. Just checking. No. Uh, from what I remember reading on NBC's website, which is fuzzy in my head as I try to recall, she's, I think, trying to solve a murder, and so she gets one of the police dogs, and she gets into her police car, and she goes after that killer. She's gonna get that killer. But then, out of nowhere, a storm. A tornado. Oh, goodness. She blacks out. She wakes up. Where is she? A mysterious new world? Filled with strange characters that need her police expertise? And she has her dog with her? That's right. It's Emerald City coming to NBC this fall. You know, every couple of years we gotta have a new wacky uh, uh, Wizard of Oz based thing. Every couple of years? We've had three this year. Ha! We've had Legends of Oz Dorothy's Return starring Kelsey Grammer. You'll remember me talking about that. On the television show Once Upon a Time, this entire season was Wizard of Oz. Wow. And then the next season's going to be completely Frozen-themed. I'm not even kidding. And now we're getting this fucked-up police procedural Oz show. I mean, what's with Oz? Um, I, apparently apparently it's a hot item. It's, it's, uh, it's going to get us the ratings. I'm, I'm saying we go for it. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. I was trying to, I was trying to play devil's advocate there, and yet you fell for it. Great, great. I've sold two. Uh, just so you know, like quick rundown of some other shows coming. Uh, I won't give you the full pitch, but there's a show called One Big Happy, which is about a straight guy and his lesbian gal friend, and they have a baby together. But here's the thing. He just met a sexy British woman, and they're going to get married. What a wacky new family. Eh? 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 Hmm. There's the, uh, the, let's see, let's see. Hold on. I've got some summer shows here for you. There's Crossbones, the pirate drama. Eh? No. No? Okay. Uh, what about Taxi Brooklyn, which is about a lady cop who pairs up with a taxi driver who acts as her personal chauffeur, and they solve crimes. It's called Taxi Brooklyn. <laughs> Great placeholder name. When is the real name coming? Give um, me 25 names by Monday. <laughs> you know what? I'm in. Give me that one. You want that one? I'll take it too. I'll take it. Who, who we got? She, who we got? Any who's in it? Attached? No one. The, I'm literally looking at their faces and I'm saying yeah. no one. Yeah. Oh I, my God. I like it. I like it. There's a show called uh, Working the Angles, E-N-G-E-L-S, because the last name of the family is The Angles. Mm. Working the Angles. Kill me. Um. There's the Bible miniseries sequel, A.D. Hmm? Uh, it's all about after Jesus, because that's the most fascinating part of the Bible. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Uh, nope, nope, nope. Uh, well, what about, uh, I'm sure this, oh my god, yeah, there's a miniseries that they're producing called The Slap. Oh. Uh, it's called The Slap because, get this, it all starts at a party where someone slaps another person's child, and we see the fallout from that and how it affects everybody at the party. Oh. It's called The Slap. Here's an idea. Come back to me when you have 25 new names. 
for all of these shows. Yeah, yeah. The Slap, Working the Angles, Taxi Brooklyn. Give me a fucking break. Yeah, no, 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 no. Brad, I'm sorry, but as it turns out, when you wake from your fugue state, it turns out you're not Mr. Peacock. All of these are coming to television. (laughs) Whew. Get ready, America. This is what you want to see, along with, I'm sure, six game shows that will make you feel like fucking cavemen with lobotomies. Ugh. Oy, oy, oy. But, uh, but yet, but yet, we don't get, but yet Hoarders is gone from our world. Hoarders is gone. We got no more Hoarders. I don't think we have any more strange addicts. Uh, community's gone. We're losing all the things. Can we talk for a second about how Community got canceled and everyone got really upset? And I understand that Community is a great show. I'm a fan mm-hmm. of Community. The fourth season was Oof. a sad misstep. Yes. But what I think people aren't taking into account is that NBC gave it five years to be on the air, which is a lot longer than a lot of beloved television shows get at all. Sure. And I think ultimately we're in a weird age right now where fans think that just because they want something, they should get it. Mm-hmm. And it's very strange. I just... I wrote about this on Twitter. What people need to remember is the saying The saying goes, all good things must end, not all good things must end, at which point you whine until it shows up on Netflix. Nice. I just, I think we should be able to let these shows go once they're canceled. Yeah, I just, ah, oh, man, it was such a good show. And I think it's one of the few shows that, like, it... It's so much... I, the, the characters are great, and the actors are great, obviously. But mm-hmm. it's just the writing and the ideas. Like, they can really push an idea to its farthest. Because it's not... It's It's got just enough character that, you know, it can kind of skate by and just have, you know, episodes that are more based around idea than necessarily, like, really developing characters. Mm-hmm. Which is a very... I think it's a very hard thing to do. And, and I feel it's it's a show that I feel like it could have gone on for as long it could go on forever. I don't feel like as long as you know you you have like keep like solid writing on it. I don't sure. think it necessarily had to come to an end. Yeah, I, I I feel conflicted about it because I feel like this past fifth season had a lot of obstacles to overcome. What with mm-hmm. not only Chevy Chase being gone, which was honestly one of the best decisions yes that anyone could have made for him to leave and for them to encourage him to go was a great idea. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there was an even bigger stumbling block when uh, Donald Glover left because he was a huge part of that show. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But they managed to keep the momentum going. I feel like. Uh, I had sort of an issue as it was moving through season three that Dan Harmon seemed to maybe be spinning his wheels a little bit with certain ideas, especially when it came to the convention of Greendale falling into riots. Mm -hmm. I thought that after a while, that joke was becoming a matter of diminishing returns, for me at least. Sure. And I I think that it would be great. Yeah, perfect world. That show would have been able to keep going and the writing would have been sterling. But Mm -hmm. I think the rules of the universe kind of dictate that the longer a show is on the air, just the less likely it is that it's going to maintain its actual quality. Sure. And it's just, I like, cause I, I love Dan Harmon. I, you know, I love his podcast is great. And I just, he's, I, I feel like even, even in like the, like the, the lesser parts of season three, I still feel it was like one of the only shows where they, they pushed whatever they were doing to its fullest extent. Mm-hmm. And even if even if it was a bit repetitive or stale, it was still... I, I never felt like they really cut corners. Yeah, they never apologized or sort of shrunk away from their own ideas. Yeah. Which takes a lot of courage, and that's why the fourth season was such a strange miscalculation. Yeah. It's, it was just... I, it never, yeah, it never, it went halfway. Mm-hmm. You could tell everyone was sort of cringing their way through it. 
especially Chevy Chase. I mean, my God. Yeah. Thank goodness he did walk away when he did, because I've never seen a more zombie-like performance in all my life. Oh yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, I, I I think it ended on a good note. Thank God it didn't end after after that fourth season. Mm-hmm. That would have been a real bummer. Uh, and at least you know you've got shows like uh, Parks and Rec coming back for one more season. Yeah, um, which I enjoy definitely. Uh, which it's surprising what those they always refer to them as bubble shows online. I'm always surprised what shows do stick around and what and what shows sort of vanish mm-hmm. into the ether. Uh, Jonathan, I think it's time to get back to a, to a game that we've really been enjoying lately. Mm-hmm. It's called Giving Advice, the game. Oh, I loved Giving Advice, the movie. I had no idea it would work so well as a game. <laughs> Who knew? Who, Who knew? knew? Starring Kelsey Grammer. <laughs> uh, we've been playing this for a couple of weeks steady now. It's really, it's really become a strong anchor point of the podcast as of late. I hope everyone's enjoying. We need to sell it to NBC. <laughs> Absolutely we do. They, they could use the programming. Ding dong, Mr. Peacock. <laughs> I would also suggest, if any listeners uh, need any advice, maybe you hit us up. You you hear our amazing ability to give advice. Sure. So if you have, if you need advice, let us know. But Is a to- dog biting you in your sleep? Hmm. <laughs> Today, uh, I, I got some questions that I, I've pulled from a very special website. Uh, this is from uh, LDS.net. Mm? Excuse me? Uh, we're going to be giving some uh, advice to Mormons today. Oh. Mm. We've oh, got okay. some people with some serious Mormon problems. Well, I don't understand why you think I would be an expert in this, as I am not a Mormon, but I will do my best. Well, listen, listen, Some, you know, these may be Mormons with problems, but I think these are universal problems that we can all understand and accept. Well, if the Book of Mormon taught me anything, it's that music, I'm ready. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Here's our first problem. Mm-hmm. My husband is a convert who has made some transgressions in his past, but he has repented. So yes, we are sealed. Uh, I am one of those born and bred members who sometimes lack a certain perspective in sticky situations. I hope that made sense. We are pretty active in the church. My husband recently left for a business trip for a few weeks. Apparently oh, no. it was incredibly boring. I bet. And fearing he would fall asleep in front of his peers and supervisors, drank, quotes, a couple cups of coffee. He didn't tell me this until a few days after he got home, as he felt it wasn't a big deal. In fact, he only told me he did, he did it as a side note to something else we were talking about anyways. I kind of stopped him and told him he should go see the bishop. He kindly disagreed, as he felt that he didn't have a continuous problem drinking coffee, and it was a minor slip-up. After talking to him about this, I finally thought he saw my point of seeing the bishop, even if it was a minor transgression in all reality. Now, fast forward to today. Oh my god! <laughs> this is an essay! <laughs> it is. Uh, these, these questions, listen, these Mormons have got a lot of things they got to get out. I got two questions for you. They're both a little lengthy. I want you to learn about these people and their lives, Jonathan. You can't give proper advice unless you know what's going on. Oh boy. Okay. It's Sunday. All right. And he takes the sacrament and acts normal and everything. <laughs> I, dr- I just shrugged it off as he gets upset if I bring it up to him. He says he feels judged, in quotes, each time I bring it up. Which I can honestly see his point. <laughs> so I try to just trust that he will take care of it. He never saw the bishop about it. So I just tried my best to ignore it. Later in the day, my <laughs> Later in the day, my husband was getting ready for work. He works. Ten Sunday years nights. later. Ten years later. <laughs> and I said, Hey, we should try and go to the temple for a date night next month or something. To which he replied, Why not this Friday? 
I said, oh, so you got that thing taken care of? And he says, what thing? The coffee thing? I was thinking, duh, what else would I be talking about? <laughs> we got into a little emotional argument about he doesn't want to be complete. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be completely open about things anymore because he is afraid of my reaction to them. <laughs> He says he feels judged by me, even though he acknowledged that I am not doing this on purpose. I do feel horrible that I even brought the coffee thing up at all. Oh because God. it is his freaking birthday for crying out loud. <laughs> I... Am I being naggy about this? I guess I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to say or do at this point. By the way, he did say before he left for work that he would like me to find out the bishop's meeting schedule for this week and text it to him. But he gives off the impression that he is only doing doing it for me, so I will stop bugging him about it. <sighs> he didn't specifically say that, but I know he wouldn't go if I hadn't if I if I hadn't have told him to do it. Well, yes, I feel like he should go to the bishop about this minor transgression. Oh my I god. <laughs> I have to you admit, it's partly because I would feel uncomfortable being with him in the temple knowing he broke the W-O-W, even if it was just once. Honestly, the thing that bothers me most is that he isn't, isn't even the coffee issue. It's the <gasps> fact that he says he feels uncomfortable telling me his past mistakes for fear of how I'll react. I'm not sure how to win his trust back, I guess. <laughs> P.S. Uh, please be completely honest in your opinions. I won't get offended. I really wonder if I'm in the right sometimes. I wish someone would just flat out tell me. Thanks. Oh, I'm glad that it ended on an admission of, please confirm my suspicions that I'm right. I have this, I have this bubbling root inside me that sort of says that I'm right. I would love for you to say as much, but if you feel otherwise, believe me, I can take some constructive criticism. I imagine that I'm sitting with this woman who, let's say, is named Pam. I imagine sitting at a little table on her deck eating butter sandwiches. <laughs> white, white, doughy, squishy, almost cake-like bread with butter and mayo in the hot, hot sun. And she just keeps talking and talking and talking. And at one point, I start to drift off, and she says, Hey! Hey! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did you need some coffee? <laughs> It's my story. Boring you, Danielle. I'm Danielle. <laughs> and I say, no, no, it's it, it's fine. <laughs> and then I'm so depressed after my meeting her that I go straight to the bar and order a fresh, tall glass of Coca-Cola. <laughs> let's really, let's talk about this. Yeah. Pam, okay. Religion is both, if you're going to invest in religion, can't believe I'm saying this. If you're going to invest in religion, you have to understand that it is both, there's a public element of practice, and there's a private element of practice. I can't believe I'm actually meeting this woman on her own terms. Uh, you're more than I would do. I know. I know. I know. And that's why, <laughs> that's why I'm not bringing this to you, because it would go much faster. Right. You would say, grow up, shut up, stop being Mormon. And Brad, at the end of the day, I subscribe to that as well. <laughs> but just for a change of pace... If I was talking to this woman and she insisted on staying Mormon, <laughs> there's a public element of religion and there's a private element of religion. Who is to say that your husband, being a converted Mormon who clearly takes it seriously enough to go to the service, to set up these meetings with the bishop potentially, and even have Mormon temple dates, which sound... Ooh. 
unsettling mm-hmm. at best. I imagine dim lighting and drone-like recitation. That's what I imagine. Uh-huh. Sweaty feet in bad flip-flops. That's what I imagine. Oh. A constricting cloth. Just constricting around the package. Uh, he is taking the t- he takes it seriously. So who is to say that at a certain point in his nightly prayers or in a private moment at work, he didn't think to himself, Oh, God, I know that I drank two cups of coffee at my business trip. Please forgive me, God. Are we cool? I'm genuinely sorry about it. Oh, and by the way, I'm also sorry about the fact that I'm having these thoughts about my wife. These negative thoughts about my wife, who never, ever lets anything go. I I hate Pam so much. (laughs) I just feel so bad for this guy. He's converted to Mormonism for her. Like, he's, I mean, he's really going above and beyond. She's And she is just, I mean, all about this coffee thing. She's lying. You know that. She's lying about the fact that she doesn't normally get hung up on stuff like this. Oh, uh, definitely. It's a full stop lie. Yeah, there's no, this is not like, uh, this is, this is far more uh, the norm than the aberration. Yes. And... I'm sure, you know, I'm coming at this from the perspective of being raised Catholic, where you can basically let... I mean, we all know Catholics, they let shit slide. Mm-hmm. They let shit slide, especially if it means we don't have to talk about it. So, I understand that Mormonism, by comparison, is much more strict on the page. But here's the thing. I think if the bishop understood that you've now brought this up, what, four times? <sighs> I think the bishop would say to you, hey, for the sake of this... You need to not behave in such a way. Just let it go. Just let the situation breathe a bit. And this is probably the least important element of our religion. If if this bishop is in any way sane, if he's in any way reasonable in his leadership responsibilities, he would tell someone, hey, buddy, it's great that you came and you said that, but at the end of the day, let's talk about your marriage. How about that? Seriously. It's just, I mean... I mean, coffee... I'm used to Exo Jane, you know what I mean? Yeah. I thought, you were you were saying to me, he went on a business trip, and I thought to myself, oh, God, like, he's going to come back and express some sort of, like, infidelity, or that he was, at, I don't know, at a strip club or something, and now she doesn't know how to feel about it. But coffee, Ugh. grow I, up. I mean... Shut up. You just, like, uh, yeah, I can. Uh, we can talk all day about how dumb it is that they have a prohibition against coffee. Sure. Mm. We can talk all day about how idiotic Mormonism is. Absolutely. But if you're going to fucking do that shit, if you're going to be in that, like, I, you, like, you have to learn how to deal with human beings. Yeah. And, like, she is married to a human being, and, like, I, oh, like, this and is this, just not healthy. He is allowed to have a transition process. His path into this is not your path. You've been raised, lady, with this hammer-to-the-skull philosophy, and of course you know every rule, you know every in and out of this stupid religion, but just because he broke this rule doesn't mean that suddenly you start to see the walls crumbling around you. No. I mean, she seems... There's nagging, and then there's borderline paranoia and worry. What are you worried about? 
Well, that and, he doesn't take the religion seriously, or that he doesn't take you seriously. And I think, uh, and like from from the readings I've done and collecting of these queries, I, it just seems like there is a, 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 there's a lot about Mormonism that I'm like seeing in these questions that I wasn't even aware of, and this real need to like, okay, we've had a problem, we've got to take this to the bishop, we've got to get like, we got to get this other party like involved in sorting out our thing, and it's like it, it's. Like, and again, like, because uh, at this point I have to go and tear this religion up a little bit. I mean, it's the the removing responsibility from individuals and giving it to this other party that, like, uh, like not only does she not trust her husband, not only does she have these issues, the, she, and she even talks like, well, it's probably not a big deal, but still, we got to get this other party involved. Like, you are, you are creating... Uh, an extra wedge than the wedge that you've already driven into your marriage. Oh, and I think she is well aware of that. She she has created a problem beyond the coffee scandal. Mm-hmm. And she is very concerned with the idea that she could become this source of negativity for him in their shared life. Mm-hmm. And she should be. I mean, once again, anyone that writes into any form of advice column, uh, advice message board or anything like that, they already know the answer. Yeah. I very rarely have come across a question where the person genuinely seems to be at a crossroads, except for the one we covered last time I was on the show, where they found out their neighbor was a pedophile. <laughs> that is still, like, that is a question of question. Like, that's... Yep. Oof. That is the only... That's a very rare example of someone who genuinely needed some advice. Yes. I mean, sh- this woman knows what she needs to do. Disney's Frozen Let It Go. Yeah. Just let it go. All right, all right. Well, that... that next question. All right, next question. Uh, Jonathan, Call, that, call that me was, Mormon Mike. That was a walk in the park, because I got another question, and we're, we're going back to... We've got another, we got another issue that might uh, might deal with a bishop. Um, another question for now, Mormon Mike? Now, let me just say, uh, this one, I think it might even be a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, a lot before, of things... we, before we dip into that, could you please refer to me as Mormon Mike? Please respect that I oh. created this for myself. Yes, Mormon Mike. Thank you. Um, Mormon just, Mike here. I just want to say, Mormon Mike, um, after uh, you know we deal with this, I, you know we don't usually do this, but I would like to give you some of the responses uh, that were suggested after the fact. Uh, okay, all right. But we're tackling a new subject now? New subject. <clears throat> Great. My carrot top lass never took to those yearly interviews with the bishop. All right. I had to look this up. Apparently in Mormonism, um, between the ages of 12 and 15, uh, people, um, kids have to have like a, a, a meetings with the bishop at least every 6 to 12 months, and they ask a lot of questions, and it can get very quite private. I thought that you were going to explain to me how there's a Mormon term known as carrot top lass. Uh, nope. That's uh, just her carrot top lass. All right, back in. Thank God. She never, my carrot top lass never took to those yearly interviews with the bishop. Claims they are creepy and inapropos. At age 13, she orchestrated a revolt of the nine girls her age against being interviewed, but the parents all quickly put a stop to it. We didn't make her go on the subsequent temple trip for the fear of further rebellion. Some kids like her might be old enough, but not exactly ready for this. At age 14, they conveniently forgot to interview her, and we were on vacation at the same time as the temple trip. At age 15, she slipped a digital recording device into her shirt and taped the entire interview. When the bishop asked if she was obeying the LOC, she replied, sort of. He questioned further, and she deviously led him 
onto more specific questions, which she answered with increasingly shocking details, until she had tearfully confessed to a string of tawdry fornications and substance abuse with a variety of unknown characters in unlikely situations. The bishop requested further detail and did not seem to be embarrassed or suspicious of being misled. Immediately following the interview, DD, which I did look up is for Dear Daughter. Oh boy. Dear Daughter shared copies of it with her friends and they reportedly laughed themselves silly. <laughs> Since we laughed our asses off. I'm sorry, we laughed ourselves silly. <laughs> <laughs> Since these few LDS girls... <laughs> Since these few LDS girls are scattered across three large public schools, they soon shared the amusing interview with many non-LDS girls. No shit. Dozens, if not hundreds, of digital copies of this interview are out there, although thankfully it does not appear to have extended beyond their schools. Uh We, the parents, first heard of this a few weeks later from the school psychologist who acquired a copy from a student we've never met. To us, it seems obvious that it is a fraud perpetrated on the bishop and not a sincere confession. But who really knows? (laughs) Oh, no! The psychologist agrees and is is not as concerned by her behavior as she is by the bishop having conversations to this level of detail while alone in a room with a young girl. The psychologist is considering maybe this might be serious enough to report to the police and suggest that we attend another church and quietly avoid further contact with this religious leader until any potential investigation is concluded. At first, I was inclined to severely punish my DD for her flagrant mockery of the priesthood leaders. But sitting there in the psychologist's office, listening to the recording of the bishop asking my DD questions about details of illicit, contrived, or otherwise acts, and the bishop also being so completely clueless in discerning when teenagers are messing around with him and when they are serious, this caused something to snap inside of me. Oh no. The bishop is just doing his job, question mark, and yet he also seems out of line. If this practice of teenage girls confessing their private misbehavior to mature men is appropriate, why was a recording of it so outrageous to so many people at a public school? She remains defiant and unrepentant, claims she will never willingly sit for another bishop interview as a youth, and, and then there are her younger brothers who idolize her and will soon require these interviews to advance in the priesthood. Do I warn the bishop that he might be under investigation? And does that make me guilty of tampering with witness obstruction or justice? That's it? Yep. Holy cow! Yeah. This is, this is an NBC miniseries event. <laughs> Seriously. This is a this is a town wide mini scandal in the making. And I, I didn't I didn't I had never heard of this. Like I I was unaware that this was a thing, but yeah, there's I mean, this is a thing. Like these bishops like pry all up into kids' lives, ask about masturbation and sex and drugs, and, like, really yeah. get those details. The fact that I don't think it needs to be said, but the idea of bring your child to me, leave the room, close the door, I shall speak to them, and I'm allowed to ask any question mm-hmm. and any follow-up question that I feel is appropriate so that I may mine their psyche and probe every part of their brain and heart and soul in the, in the intent of, with the intent, I should say, of determining what, if they're ready for the church... Well, if they're ready to become an adult, you know they have to confess these things, and then uh, they can go about uh, being forgiven of them. 
it's so funny because I just keep comparing it to Catholicism. And with Catholicism, at least in my very limited confessional experience, it's so funny because it's just not in any way comparable. Yeah. You go into a little box and everyone spoke with just the most vague terms. Mm -hmm. You know, you sit down in the box and you say, oh, I've had impure thoughts or I've been angry with my mother and father. Yeah. And you don't have to speak for very long if you don't choose to. You could say as little or as much as you want, and they just sort of send you on. You don't even see the person face-to-face. They don't ask any questions. Yeah. They don't follow up and say, well, when, when you say impure thoughts, do you touch yourself? How do you touch yourself? I mean, clearly that's where this is going, and that's why these girls feel so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's manifesting in this in this rebellion, which I think is, I mean, as I said the last time I was on the show, girls start rebelling, start calling out bullshit from the word go because no one's going to do it for you. Yeah. No one's going to stand up for you, especially in, in this kind of crazy scenario where everyone's sort of adhering to the same logic. Mm-hmm. So good for her for not yeah. backing down. Seriously. It, what's so funny is that it seems like she kind of doesn't, it doesn't seem like she's ready to renounce the whole religion. It's just that she doesn't want to do these interviews. Right. But because she doesn't want to take the whole package, suddenly the whole system's falling apart for this dad. For and the it's mother. Clear. mother. Oh, it's the mother. Okay, yeah. for some reason I thought it was a dad. Um, first of all, don't refer to your daughter as a keratop lass or a DD. <laughs> when you say DD, it sounds like a term from like a sadomasochistic like leather <laughs> culture. Like sub dom, like cat of nine tails. Enough. Don't don't use that anymore. Refer yeah. to your daughter as such. Um, the mother has said that something has snapped. She said that something snapped for her because, because she, yeah, because she's sitting in a psychologist's office, being like, "Hey, don't you think this is kind of weird?" And she's like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." The psychologist immediately thought it was weird. Yeah, and she, the mother's upset because this was all a big prank. Or so she assumes. Mm-hmm. She assumes that what her daughter is saying is all false and right. completely made up, which I have a feeling it probably was. Yeah. I think this girl fully went in, full jerky boy scenario, thinking, I'm going to prank this motherfucker, yeah. lie my ass off, and just see what I can get him to talk about, because the grosser it is, the more he's going to want to know. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, perfect she, like prank, she's, yeah, Like, she's doing some solid investigative journalism. Uh, straight up, she's a straight up uh, little mini Chris Hansen. Yeah, and now everyone's pointing at this bishop and laughing their asses off while also saying, what a fucking creep. Yeah. And this mother has to sort of come to the terms of, come to terms with this concept that the bishop is not infallible. It's What creeps me out about this is that like, she's so demonizing her daughter and like, so, like, I, I mean, she's just barely willing to accept the fact that the, the bishop's done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just, just only, barely. just now. And only because, like, some another adult pointed out, hey, this is kind of creepy, that she even beginning to question it. I'm surprised they went to someone who is not of the Mormon faith. The well, I, this is, I think this is the, I think this is the school psychologist. Even so. I, well, I think, like, she called, like, the school psychologist, like, like, hey, we've got this tapes, we need to have a sit down about this, or I'm going forward. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was, like, a by choice. I mean, it says a lot that the mother didn't bulk at the psychologist's recommendation. She, you know, you know what I mean. She didn't yeah. storm out of the room thinking, "I know what's best for my family." This, this guy's a quack. She knows enough to understand that something is amiss, and that her daughter is not really the issue here. Mm-hmm. It's hard to deal with a rebellious daughter or a kid in general, but I, the mom understands that maybe the kid has a point here. Yeah. Um, 
it's so it's it's not a good sign that she's turning to what is this the website for uh, the entire religion i this is well this is it's not the i this is lds.net it is a mormon site okay so are you pulling these from message boards on that site yes okay so it's not the best sign it's clear that she still wants to retreat to the advice of her fellow mormons mm-hmm. she's gotten the perspective of the psychologist but i'm interested to hear the responses because you know they're only going to back up the bishop and that's what I find disturbing about this. They're going to tell her that her daughter is a bad person who needs to be punished, basically. And, like, I just, I like, I feel like this daughter is, like, like, I, I just, it's so brave, I think, mm-hmm. to, like, go in and, like, do this. Because, like, clearly the daughter was against this from the beginning. At 12 years old, mm-hmm. ha- had the ability to say, I don't like this, this is weird. Um, and she got other kids on yeah, board. Yeah, and got other because kids. Because she knew, she knew she couldn't do it by herself. Like, she wanted people, like, on her team. Yeah. Which is a smart idea. You yeah. don't want to be isolated. Yeah. Like, this kid, awesome. Um, but let's hear some of these responses. Are, okay, are we going to go back and get responses about the coffee first? Oh, no, no, no. We're not worried about the coffee. Coffee was dumb. Oh, this no is, coffee responses. Yeah, okay. Just this one. Um, all right, first one. I'll sit on the fence on this one. Oh, great. On one hand, your bishop could be a creep. On the other hand, your daughter could be doing the obnoxious teen girl thing. No way for me to know the difference. Excuse me? What? you. The difference between a creepy bishop and a rebellious teenage girl? Uh, Not even that, but he says, could be doing the obnoxious teen girl thing. What? But he wouldn't be able to tell the difference between what and what. I, on one hand, the bishop's a creep. On the other hand, a daughter could be doing the obnoxious teen girl thing. So who's to say where I land? Yeah. Fuck him. Yeah. The obnoxious teen girl thing. Yeah. As if the problems and the concerns and the uh, and the worries of a teenage girl somehow matter less. Yeah. Oh, what are you doing? Are you complaining? What are you complaining about? What? Some guy asked you some questions? Oh, boy. Teenage girls, am I right? Just a big bag of hormones. Fuck you. Next response. I'll be blunt. Oh, well. Something is seriously wrong in this situation, and it's not the bishop. Mm. Your child has some serious issues that, if not resolved now, will lead to misery down the road. Oh. Obviously, this teenager is, quite frankly, rebellious and is playing you like a fiddle. Quite frankly. I think you could have been more <laughs> frank. You you are more upset at the bishop for asking you for details rather than being more upset at your daughter for, A, deceiving the bishop and actually explaining tawdry fornications. I can only imagine what that might be if it goes beyond just having sex. Um, I think I I think I might be m- more upset at any of my kids for making up such stuff, actually feeling comfortable explaining such stuff to an adult, especially a religious leader, when it didn't happen, than if they actually did it. At least if they did it, they could say they got caught up in emotions, etc. <laughs> But planning something like that shows a complete lack of respect for authority, religion, and a total oh, no. and a total disregard for the actual sin of fornication. If she feels comfortable talking about it now, there is very little doubt in my mind that later on it won't be just talk. Again, I'm going to be perfectly blunt. You need to wake up and take control. <laughs> How? And if and and even if you do now, it might be too late. Oh, what insidious, slimy slut shaming! Yeah. Oh God, just the very, the very idea that a girl would express sexual ideas or thoughts—how putrid! Your daughter is nothing but a 
bile factory. We got you some... should be ashamed. I've got a response to that response. Oh. <laughs> Plus one to everything you've said here. If this huh. was my daughter, she... <laughs> she'd be in so much trouble! Exclamation point. I would not be concerned about the bishop. I'd be focused entirely on her manipulation. I'd also be concerned about where slash how she's learning such detail that she can just spout off extemporaneously. I... This stereotype of the woman, this, like, ancient stereotype, Mm -hmm. let's say that, uh, casting the woman in the role of the villainous, fork-tongued, seductress, manipulator who casts spells over men in their lives so that they can basically take down the structures of society. I mean, we're getting into some large-scale archetypes right now. Yeah, we are. I mean, your daughter... Oh, your daughter. I would be ashamed... Plus one! Plus one! Upvote! Upvote! When I I read your post, I laughed myself silly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I love your laughing silly. That might be my favorite thing. I've been laughing... I I look like a clown now. I'm dressed as a clown. (laughs) I got two more responses here. I gotta get through. Okay. If my daughter did this... Even if she truly felt uncomfortable with the bishop's interview, I would be so ashamed. Ashamed that my daughter has no regard for authority or appropriate behavior. Did I not teach her proper behavior? How could I as a parent fall so short of my responsibility of teaching correct manners? (laughs) If this is an actual occurrence and not some troll trying to get a rise out of us, I would be so embarrassed over my child's behavior. And I, as a mother, look at my children's behavior as a reflection on me. This is not a funny joke that she perpetrated. This is just totally uncalled for and inappropriate. I may rile a few people here because I understand that children can go against their... I understand that children can go against their parents' teachings, but this behavior is not acceptable. If the bishop's questions were a little out of line, then she should have gone to her parents. This sounds to me like she purposefully egged him on and recorded it. I should probably just erase what I just typed and not post this. (laughs) I usually don't get upset over posts, and it's not the post that's upsetting me. It's the behavior of a 15-year-old girl. Not acceptable or funny exclamation point. Man, people love the concept of respecting authority. They really do. They love that idea that you just just bow. Bow already. What, what are you, crazy? Oh. Kneel. That, that's, oh, that's, that's a whole part of being an adult. Are you, oh, you're so stupid. Oh, your stupid questions are going to get me in trouble. You, don't you understand that you reflect on me, daughter? My toe-headed lass? My bonnie bride? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got, I got one more here. I had a teenage son who loved, who loved and thrived on lies. He's dead now. <laughs> it started at about age three. Okay. I was told repeatedly that a three-year-old can't lie and doesn't understand lies or manipulation. What? But he That's... did it and got worse and worse. He started running away at 15. Space ellipses. Long, long, long story. I don't doubt it. I'm sorry your daughter thinks it was okay to lie and record the bishop. If she was really concerned about the bishop's behavior, she would have sought help from her parents, grandparents, aunt-slash-uncle's teacher. Instead, she distributed the tape as entertainment. That is very troubling. My guess is the bishop was truly trying to figure out if she was telling the truth. But, ellipses, he should have ended the interview and referred her to counseling and to you. One of the problems with lay clergy is they don't get enough training. I'm so sorry you're having to deal with such an issue. Uh, You called... Your your child started lying at three. 
yes. And who told you that a three-year-old doesn't know how to lie? I Well, I think, clearly... Where did that come from? Well, I think what what she was probably told is, don't call your three-year-old a liar. It's a little kid. Like, it's not... It, it's still figuring out how things work. Stop trying to yell at your kid and calling it a liar. It's a three-year-old. Well, yeah, a three-year-old... A three-year-old may know... A three-year-old is barely talking... Yeah, a three is... That is very young. That is... Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. This That's is very a, young. This is a terrible person. But let's let's give it a few more years. Like, even a five-year-old, even if they're not telling the truth, you don't point at them and go, you filthy liar. <laughs> you are using words to spin tales. It all, it all started when the kid was three. If it started when the kid was three, guess who is the problem? Yeah, not the I three-year-old. Feel, I feel fine laying it at your feet because something went amiss. Yeah. He ran away at 15. Long, long story. I don't doubt it. Yeah. I don't doubt it. And I and I love when they're like, if your daughter thinks it's a problem, they should have gone to someone else. Um, she says in the beginning, she's like, uh, after the first time, my daughter like staged a rebellion. She told other people that she was not interested. Uh, we kept her away from it because like, we didn't want to shake the boat. She made it clear that she was not down with this. That she did have a problem with it. Wasn't there a point in the original post where the mother said, at the age of 14, everything conveniently worked out to where she didn't have to do her interview? Yeah. I mean, what's with that year? Yeah. I mean, what do you... And the way you you delivered it, too, it, it kind of, I feel, is faithful to this idea of... She's kind of sneering at the fact that, oh, she got out of it that year. Mm-hmm. What the fuck are you talking about? If you really wanted her to go, why did you schedule your family trip at the same time? Yeah. And there, there's a clear hypocrisy going on in the mother. Stop pushing this idea that authority needs to be respected. And you're right. She clearly didn't feel comfortable because she didn't have anyone left to go to. Yeah. Her mother didn't understand. None of her other peers were going to help her except these other girls that she had found. So, yeah, of course it became a matter of her peers. Yeah. If if if, if, you're, if your child is uncomfortable because she's 13, 12, 13, 12 to 15 is when this is going on, and is uncomfortable with a creepy old dude asking a very, very uh, pointed questions about masturbation and sex and drugs and uh, shaming, then you know what? Uh, I don't know. I feel like if your kid's old enough to be asked those questions, your kid's old enough to say, I have no interest in being a part of this. Yeah. And speaking from personal experience, in high school, I had to deal with a very complicated situation where and it completely sprung from me being really angry and really freaked out a lot of time, a lot of the time in high school day to day. And when you're between those ages of like going into high school, you know, you're 13, 14 years old and through the rest of those years, you kind of... If you feel like you can't get help from other people or you feel you're not comfortable talking about it, you come up with other solutions to try and express your frustration and your anger. And sometimes it backfires and sometimes it doesn't. But at the end of the day, you can't... I think it's a very fine line you need to tell. You can't punish someone because they're trying to figure out how to solve their problem and they're trying to figure out how to, like, move through their anger and they're, they're trying to find a solution. Right. They're not... The, your daughter is not some bratty little bitch who is an asshole it's very easy to read her as such because to de- to dig any deeper is more difficult as a parent and this mom doesn't seem like she wants to do that much work 
Yeah. In a perfect world, the daughter would just, like, slap on an apron, make a pie, and go talk to the bishop every year like a good little girl, and she'd get married to a nice Mormon man, and everyone would fucking die happy. Yeah. But fuck you, teenagers are trying to figure shit out, and it can be really crazy for them. And if you don't agree with what she did, I don't really give a fuck. Yeah. Because she got evidence supporting the idea that she should have never been doing this to begin with. Exactly. So fuck you, and kudos to her. Like, good on you. Yeah, I feel like, I, I just, I can't support this this kid enough that is, like, had a problem with something and came up with a solution that, I mean, yeah, she's ridiculing it, because it's a practice that should be ridiculed and point out the problems. Well, the bishop's an asshole. Yeah. That's what you can't deal with. Your bishop is a laughingstock. He couldn't figure out if she was making it up. He couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. He trusted her so implicitly because he's this weird guy who takes the entire power structure and the atmosphere of the office way too fucking seriously. Yeah. I just pick up on that a prank was being pulled on him. He's a fucking dumbass. Yeah. He was asking creepy questions. In in looking at this, I came across a a Facebook page that is, it's just basically an awareness, uh, no more end Mormon sexually invasive interviews of children page. Uh, well. And, uh, I, I mean, wow. This is just really disturbing. Because, you know, if this was, like, a, I, this is a practice that's just a part of it. And, like, I, this is something I was not aware of at all. Mm-mm. And it is very upsetting. And it should not <laughs> be a thing, clearly. I speak broadly, but I feel like with Mormonism, I get the sense that there are a lot of closed door definitely <laughs> moments, a lot of closed door ceremonies, and I don't know. I feel like there's also this element of you have to kind of scrape and claw your way into the upper echelon. Yeah. Like you have to earn it, your way into these more private areas. But the more private it gets, the more worried you should be. <laughs> there's, there's a book that came out, I think, last year um, that's uh, really about uh, Mormonism it's uh, it's by uh, David Fitzgerald who wrote a really good book on the historicity of Jesus um, that I think I've, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before. Um, I haven't read the Mormon book yet, but I, I do know that like uh, from reviews and uh, interviews I've heard that there's just a lot of things that people just aren't aware of about Mormonism, and there are a lot of these strange and upsetting uh, things going on. I just think we should all be a little aware. When you first discovered your vagina, 12-year-old girl. What? It's t- enough. <laughs> yeah, not okay. 12-year-old it's not girl. Okay. Brad, I know that I, I, I have some bad news, and I know that this is going to upset you. Oh, boy. But in the time that we've been speaking about these Mormon issues, the mysteries of Laura has been canceled. <gasps> no. It didn't, it didn't even get past the, the pilot stage. I, I'm uh, so sorry, Brad. Uh, the, the Laura Whimsit murders will never make it to air. No. But you know what? She has a safety net. Oh. <gasps> And that is her weekly column. Yes! Now, I say this every time <laughs> I bring a Laura Whimsic column to the table. <laughs> and that, that is this. If you ever feel the need to stop and ask a question, today is that day. For the most part, I'm going to burn through this column because it's pretty dry even by Laura's standards. All right. There's going to be a point, I want you to find it, where you need to stop and ask a question. All right. The headline is... Knowing, appreciating, good health. <laughs> of course it is. Who has time Question for already, question and. already. Okay. Knowing, ap- comma. No, okay, comma. Appreciating, good health. And no comma after appreciating? Mm-mm. Okay, just checking. Because you're knowing and appreciating good health. Okay, I didn't know if we were knowing, appreciating, and good health. 
are... No, okay. not a list of we, three things. Okay, we are appreciating good health. All right. Yeah, two qualifiers for the phrase good health. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay. Knowing, appreciating, good health by Laura Whipson. One good thing about being healthy is that you can always tell when you are sick. So I... <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so I knew as soon as I got up that Saturday morning that something was a little off. I wasn't sick, but I could see it coming, and knew that with a busy schedule on the horizon, I was going to have to move fast to get this thing under control. I ate breakfast, oh boy, ran a few errands, and then sat in my truck in a parking lot to browse around on my phone. What a wonder. <laughs> to locate one of those walk-in health clinics, which I figured would be sufficient to diagnose and solve my problem. I'm going to repeat a phrase from that paragraph. Sat in my truck in a parking lot to browse around on my phone. What a wonder. Uh, what? It took longer to find one of those places than I would have expected. My condition wasn't life-threatening by any means, so that was no big... Does she not have, like... Does she not know where clinics are? Has she never been to... She's been in Owensboro all her goddamn life, you'd think. Like, why is she having to sit in a parking lot, and why didn't she do it before she left? Yeah, do it in the comfort of your own home, like, not on your cell phone. Or what about, a laptop or, or why doesn't she? Why doesn't she do it in the breakfast place while she's trying to ignore uh, loud people? <laughs> Talking about guns. I don't know, Brad. Uh, it says, uh, My condition wasn't life-threatening by any means, so that was no big deal. But I did make a mental note to myself regarding at least one location that is apparently closed on the weekends. I found one that was open and went in, hoping for the best. I was pleasantly surprised at how efficiently they operated. There were the usual forms to fill out, but happily, these were pretty simple. I didn't have to look at my insurance membership numbers or even try to remember what year I had surgery. As far as I could tell, they just called people back in order of arrival, which seemed fair. There was a sign that said to let them know if you were experiencing chest pains, which I'm sure would have gotten you back there faster, but everyone in the waiting room seemed fairly comfortable, so that wasn't a problem. There was one guy who moaned about spending that beautiful afternoon in a waiting room, but his comments were made so good-naturedly that those of us sitting around just joined in the spirit and teased him about having arrived after we did, offering our places in line for sale. There were a couple of little kids running around the waiting room, but they were cute, and their parents were attentive, so that just added to the atmosphere, which I guess was about as festive as a health clinic waiting room could hope for. At least as long as they weren't ugly. Well, and the parents are attentive. The streamlined process continued to impress me when my name was called. They didn't waste time with blood pressure, weight, or any of that stuff. They just put me in a room and asked me what was wrong, checked it out, made a diagnosis, bronchitis, wrote out a couple of prescriptions, told me what to do if they didn't work, and sent me off. My pharmacy, which I love, by the way, ask me and I'll be glad to tell you where I go. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Why not just tell us? Laura, I'm looking for a couple of brunch recommendations. Oh, fuck that. You need to go to my pharmacy. (laughs) They sell lozenges that'll knock you on your tits. Uh, My pharmacy, which I love, by the way, ask me and I'll be glad to tell you where I go. Filled the prescription super quick and charged me only $13.59. I was feeling better already. The nurse at the clinic had cautioned me that one of the pills might cause some problems. Quote, you'll fall asleep as usual, she warned, but you'll wake up about two in the morning and won't be able to go back to sleep. Quote, honestly, I had my doubts. Sleeping is the one thing I do best. I go to bed as early as possible every night, cuddle up in the arms of Morpheus, and don't wake up or even move, as far as I can tell, until morning. Can I just say that I, I you know... You missed it. I, oh, I, you, miss, you missed it. I, there's, a, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's okay. a lot. You missed the big one, though. The, the thing she does best 
is, is sleep. <laughs> I like sleep. you know, so many times with Laura, we question: Is she telling the truth? Is she exaggerating? <laughs> this is the one time that I believe her wholeheartedly. She'll be a master of it when she's dead. <laughs> so when she's in the arms of Morpheus, Dad, I, please, please tell me what what did I miss? What the fuck is Morpheus? <laughs> She drops that like we are supposed to know what the fuck she is talking about. That That is a phrase I've heard. In the arms of Morpheus. Yeah, it's not a... God of sleep. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I, have, I have heard it before. Morpheus isn't her cabana boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Morpheus, you do, know to, you do know how to work that linseed oil into the small of my back. That... Okay, I'll trust you and assume that's a phrase. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely a phrase. Cuddle up in the arms of Morpheus. <laughs> but I prefer to think that that in actuality, uh, Laura, it's a man. Laura is uh, a beautiful, swarthy man. I, no, because you know we've seen her drifting away from Catholicism. I, I believe that she actually just believes in the in the Roman gods now, and she does believe in Morpheus, the god of dreams. What if Morpheus is a is a pseudonym for uh, Satan himself? I cuddle up with Satan himself and we drift off to slumberland. (laughs) Okay, so she claims that she's not going to have a problem with sleeping. But here we go. Well, the nurse was right. Uh Uh-oh. The first and second nights, I just stared at the ceiling all through those long, dark hours I had never seen before. The third night I was so tired, I figured I would just pass out when I crawled under my blankets. Well, I didn't. But what was interesting is that I did dream, even though I was wide awake. Hmm. A long, intricate dream. Oh, sorry. A long, intricate, and thrilling dream, all about outsmarting terrorists and a baby named Brave. (laughs) Did I tell you about my dream last night? I outsmarted terrorists, I, and there was a baby named Brave. Laura always finds new ways to be useless. To fuck with us? And you always think, okay, she's, I mean, she's got so many tricks in the bag, but really, she can't find ways to be more useless. Now she's describing dreams, and I think we can all agree, when people start describing dreams, unless there's a funny twist that affects us personally, mm. it's a useless conversation. Well, she's not even describing a dream. She's describing a medicated insomniac fever hallucination. Yeah. But that's not the end of it. So she just said, and a baby named Brave. New paragraph. Oh, boy. And a nationally televised interview conducted by either Charles Barkley or Keith Lawrence. As the dream ended, I was still making up my mind. Well, I'm pretty sure it's Charles Barkley since she follows nine Charles Barkleys on Twitter. Well, 14 at this point, I'm sure. (laughs) Whether it was the meds kicking in or my nocturnal victory over bad guys, I got up the next morning feeling significantly better. And after all, one of the best things about being healthy is knowing it and appreciating it. The end. Uh, Wow. The end. I'm speechless. Sweet dreams, Laura. Rest your head in the strong arms of Morpheus, the dark god, (laughs) as he takes you away into your thrilling 24 live another day. Scenario. Your partner is a baby, Laura. <laughs> what? I'm not working with a baby. It's What's a baby a named Brave. Baby's... Oh. All right, baby, I can see where you got your name from. Goo Gaga. <laughs> that baby makes me laugh myself silly. 
That's Laura Wimsett. <laughs> that is Laura Wimsett. <laughs> I thought I would get a second column in the mail because the same amount of time had basically passed, but no such column came. Aww. What happened? Mom! <laughs> Mom, I don't ask you for money. I just ask you for Laura Wimsett columns. <laughs> Maybe you should talk to your bishop. Mm, yeah, true. Friends, it is uh, that super special time of the week when we check in with our pal, Mr. Belvedere. Brad, I believe the title of this episode is Hooky. Am I correct in that? It is. It's season five, episode two, Hooky. Uh, guys, just you know, we're going to get back to Perfect Strangers, but uh, uh, Jonathan requested that he do a Belvedere episode, and I asked him really last minute, so I felt I, we could definitely just jump ahead and do two Belvedere's in a row. I'm in charge. <laughs> Big boy. <laughs> so, uh, we'll do it. don't worry. We're, we're going to get back to Valky. We'll see him next week, but we're sticking with Belvedere. Uh, Jonathan, you're going to have a task, and that task is going to be to summarize as much about this episode as you possibly can within one minute without going over. Okay, I will do my best. All right. I've never done this before, so I'm a virgin. Careful. Mm. Oh. Don't lie to your bishop like that. Oh, no. <laughs> We've been recording this whole conversation. What? <laughs> Take a moment. Collect your thoughts. Think about it. What happened? What were they wearing? Why were they doing these things? Who are these people? Let us know in three, two, one, go. Wesley is determined to play hooky from school. George is determined to play hooky from work so he doesn't have to cover a flower show. They run into each other and they decide, hey, let's join hooky forces. We're going to go on a fishing trip. After looking at some really disturbing slides, they go to the grocery store to pick up some supplies. And lo and behold, Mr. Belvedere is there, as well as a couple of wacky burglars slash robbers straight out of Home Alone. There is a hostage situation. Skip from the station comes in to cover the story and George is revealed as a mendacious liar and it turns out that Mr. Belvedere is trying to maybe court one of the uh, sample ladies and she wants to fuck him but he doesn't want to fuck her at the end of the day Belvedere convinces the robbers to pursue environmental causes from inside their own jail cells they agree and everyone goes home and Wesley at this point really wants to fuck a girl's tits and that is Mr. Belvedere for this week 59.3 seconds Baby, uh, I got it, B baby. <laughs> nice work. Yep, that's how you do it, kids. Uh, can we start with, Is you ever actually heard the word hooky being used? I think it's used about as often as the phrase truant officer <laughs> or dog catcher. <laughs> I think we're pulling all of this from a sort of Dennis the Menace context. I mean, I, yeah... Let's, let's make a broad comment here because uh, we're in the fifth season and we remember that the fourth, scene, the fourth season ended on a stark message of stranger danger. Mm -hmm. It's almost as if the writers got together and said, okay, we've done our duty to America. We've put in our two cents on a serious issue. We're responsible, good writers. For this fifth season, fuck it. Uh, let's uh, just go... We've already started dipping into it. We might as well dive in head first. Let's turn this into a full-on banana cakes cartoon. The it, fifth season is decidedly more ridiculous. It is. I, I fucking love it. Uh, you know, you thought that this one was crazier than the Fat Camp episode, but I watched that one as well, and I mean, there were some crazy turns in that episode. True. I would definitely, definitely. By the time George and Belvedere wound up in that cabin and they were threatening each other with chainsaws, <laughs> I knew that the show had taken a turn. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. But we're not here to talk about Fat Camp. We're here to talk about Hooky. Uh, Wesley is decidedly older. Definitely. He has sprouted like a little beanstalk, and he does not want to go to school, Brad. He does not. He's he's, he's, got, the thermo- he's got the thermometer in his mouth. They check it. Uh, 56.6 degrees. Oh, next time. Belvedere says something like, yeah, what is he saying? Like, uh, next time, I'll hold it under the hot water. Uh, you'd think Wesley would be a lot more savvy than that. Yeah, and I have to point out off the top, Marsha, for some reason, we're in the fifth season, we're back to the Captain Kangaroo outfit. How do I miss it every time? She wore it in the last two episodes of the fourth season, and she's wearing it again now. We got that orange, we got that stupid orange jacket, we got the, the yellow, like, ugh. Cravat. I'll say it a hundred times. That is her work look. You know that's the only suit Marsha has for law. I, I think they have I think they have removed the stupid patch from it. Uh, so that's a positive, but still she looks ridiculous, and I'm telling you, she works for legalzoom.com 1.0. Oh. <laughs> the very early uh, yes. They have one computer, it's the size of a monolith. Yeah. And they solve court cases with the, it. The, the, uh, she is not going to court. She is in the mall at the legal hut. That is this is self-help uh, legal services, and they are not lawyers. Well, let's talk about her law career because in the last in the Fat Cat episode, she she says, "But George, I have to go to court." Yes. Don't you realize I have got to go to court? What <laughs> what, what broader terms could you be speaking in as a lawyer? <laughs> if I, I said it last, we went into depth onto it last time, so I'm not going to get there again. Sure. But I I just I, I cannot believe that somebody is getting their lawyer from the legal hut in the mall and going to court. Unless no. they're fighting traffic tickets, which we've seen that how that goes for Marsha before. Oh, boy. Um, no. No. She's working in the smallest of small claims. Yes. We're talking. We're talking fifty to a hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. She's she's helping people file. Uh, uh, like, yeah, she's doing the services that LegalZoom.com does. She'd be perfect on the People's Court. <laughs> you know where they're arguing over like six hundred dollars in back paid rent. <laughs> My God. So George comes in and he's setting a bad example because he also has a thermometer in his mouth. But it's not a traditional thermometer. Oh boy, George has a tire gauge in his mouth. What a moron. I, I, I mean... You're an adult. Who are you trying to convince? You're an adult. Yeah. If you don't want to go to work and, in the process, maybe uh, put your job on the line, that's your irresponsible decision. But no one's going to tell you you have to go to work. Why are you trying to get past Marsha? You know what? Nobody likes a malingerer. <laughs> We learn it again and again. That's the overall thesis of Mr. Belvedere. Nobody likes malingerer. What a hard word to say. And it sounds racist. Yeah. Uh, George is upset because instead of uh, covering sports, they're sending him off to cover a flower show. Okay. And he would rather be smelling jocks than flowers. I... Uh, Would you? The latent homoeroticism just bubbling underneath the surface of this and every sitcom I've mm-hmm. encountered lately. I'm I'm consistently shocked. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He wants to smell schmegma more than fresh lilies. <laughs> because lilies are gay, but jock straps <laughs> slick with grease. Ugh. Not gay? <laughs> oi, oi. I mean, if you want to bury your nose into kibbles and bits, George, feel free to do it all day, every day. Yeah. But for God's sake, it doesn't really make sense that they would want him to cover this show, but we've seen the staff of that show. 
Yeah. They have maybe three reporters at best. Right. And maybe one of them is a woman. Mm-hmm. I, I'm surprised that he didn't make some sort of crack about, why couldn't they have sent Susan? <laughs> Women love flowers. Shut up, George. So Wesley and George are told firmly, Marcia is like kind of being a foot soldier about this. Yeah. She demands that they go off to their respective places of work. But what she says is, uh, you, wherever, you need to get to wherever it is you're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, she knows that little. Like, um, how about work, you need to get to work in school, wherever it is you're supposed to be, like, she doesn't even know, like, what, no. it just sounds she, like, uh, wherever the, ah, whatever you guys do when you're not bothering me. She doesn't know that her husband's a sportscaster, she doesn't know the name of her child's school, she barely remembers that her child got molested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was, um, I think we'll all remember the last time Wesley tried to play sick. I don't know, I feel like maybe if he's trying to play sick, you check and see if there's a reason. Yeah. You I, might have learned that lesson. Yeah. There's a moment in this episode where I thought to myself, oh, this could be a callback to the molestation episode because I feel some sort of danger right now. <laughs> yeah. So we dissolve, Marsha's gone, and Wesley appears on the scene dressed like a blues brother? Uh-huh. When he runs into George, he says that, what does he say? Like, there's a there's a new rule at school that you have to dress like Cab Calloway? Yeah. Something to that yeah. effect. He he picks up the phone, and he dials the Venus Adult Theater, mm-hmm. and he wants to know when the double feature of Nazi nudists and Bunker Babes starts. Yeah. So those are two separate films? Is that like a Quentin Tarantino, like you get two sides of the same story? <laughs> Is it like a masterpiece of storytelling? First you get the Nazis, uh, then you get the Bunker Babes. I, I just, like, I am creeped out by the idea that... That uh, the idea of like young teen tweens uh, Wesley going to a porn theater. It was a it was a very stark turn. Yeah, because we've seen Wesley watching dirty movies, mm-hmm. you know, and they're always introduced by that weird same announcer. Yeah, who's always like the late night movie bikini boobies or whatever the hell that guy says. And great Wesley film. always seemed love oh, bikini great. boobies. <laughs> Who am I to say? <laughs> I'm sure Bikini Boobies exists in some form or another. Definitely, definitely. But Wesley's always... <coughs> oh, he's always had that kid reaction of... Oh, I, I think the most he's ever said is, Oh, I hope there's violence in this. Yeah. He never really kind of got on board for the booby portion of Bikini Boobies. Yeah, but, it's always been kind of this wink and nod, like, I'm just a mischievous kid doing things that I shouldn't be doing. Yeah. Not this I weird, mean that, like, lascivious... Peeping, uh, yeah. Yeah. He was a peeping Tom at best in the fourth season. Now he's, like, full-on down to fuck. Yeah. Also, uh, I would point out that this is apparently the only episode of the entire series that Kevin is not in. Kevin's not in it for a single second, is he? Nope. <clears throat> I just put that together because so much of the episode takes place at the supermarket that when they do cut away from it, I kept thinking, oh, is, is there even a, a, a B-plot here? And I don't think there is. Yeah. They kind of do this very, for Belvedere, it's a very linear script. Definitely. Um, I'm actually kind of glad for it, because in the past, some of these B and C plots have been real fucking stinkers. Oh, yeah. So I'm glad they at least challenged themselves to stick to a fucking, like, bottle episode for mm-hmm. the most part. Definitely, definitely. I mean, hey, they built that fucking market set. They might as well keep it for as long as possible. So George runs into Wesley. Uh, he tries to pull the dad card by saying, hey, you need to go to school. And then Wesley says, well, you're full of fucking shit. Why don't we join forces and play <laughs> Um, We also have to point out that uh, both Wesley and George, uh, Wesley calls the school as Mr. Belvedere and oh. says that he won't be able to make it in, and George calls the office as Mr. Belvedere saying they won't be in, both doing their 
I uh, suppose British accents? Uh, Wesley pulls it off more than George, but only by an inch. Wesley does, yeah. Wesley does, like, a weird, uh, I mean, Robin Leach-like voice. George. Oh, hello, Mr. Belvedere here. George does this thing that I, for the life of me, I I don't know what it is. No, Bob Euchre cannot muster a British. It's, it's... I, it is bizarre. I, I, I'm going to have to, like, insert the clips now because I just, I can't. Hello, Allegheny Junior High. <laughs> yes, this is Mr. Belvedere speaking. I'm calling about young Wesley. No, he hasn't been arrested. <laughs> He's simply feeling a bit under the weather. Yes, quite. Cheerio. <laughs> Hello, WBN News. Yes, Lynn Belvedere here, George Owens' housekeeper. Anyway, George won't be able to pose with the posies on TV tonight. He came down with a touch of the Slavic flu. Probably picked it up, test driving a Yugo. Ah, ah, ah. Yes, I'm sure you'll be fine tomorrow. Pip, pip. What is he doing? It's absolutely ridiculous. And the idea that George thinks the way to go about this is by having Mr. Belvedere call in his steed is hilarious. This idea that, who would I get to call for me? Oh, Mr. Belvedere, the housekeeper. Yeah, he'll tell my boss that I can't come in. I mean, he's such a man-child. He's not able to even, like, uh, call in and pretend to be sick himself. Well, and he says he has the Slavic flu. Yeah. Which is absolutely ridiculous. So they run into each other. They decide to join forces. Wesley clearly had plans. Mm -hmm. But these plans are waylaid, and he doesn't seem to mind when the entire day is essentially spent looking at slides. (laughs) This was not Wesley's M.O., he was going to go and get, like, fucked up and crazy. Yeah. And he seems to be having a great time with George looking at these awful, these slides. Oh, boy. Like, even more evidence that the show has gone off the rails. I, yeah, I honestly, I, I was like, what is happening? Because it's not, we, we just see, like, these slides, like, full frame. We're not seeing, uh-huh. like, it being projected. We're just, like, we're just seeing slides. Did they set up a screen in the middle of the living room? Because they're not looking at a wall. Yeah, they must have set up a screen. Um, we see uh, a young Kevin playing the drums. Yeah, we see Heather, and Wesley makes a crack about how she didn't sell any cookies, presumably because she ate all of them. But those aren't the slides that kill me. Yeah. First up, we've got a shot of Ringo Owens. Ringo Owens is apparently some very vague reference I say, I say vague, they think they're being very sharp and direct, but it's muddled at best. Mm-hmm. It's a Beatles joke, right? right? Yeah. Because his name is Ringo, he has a mop top, talk about how his drums were taken away, but for some reason, the joke for me doesn't, it's not funny, but at the same time, it, it doesn't work like they think it does. I don't know why, but it just, it, it, it somehow crashes in a way that, is in a way that I did not expect. Well, because it's, it's definitely not funny, but it also just—it's not it's a, really a joke. It's—it's it's bizarrely no. like something you know. You say, "Oh, here's like here's Kevin with his first drum set." It's like, "Oh, here's Ringo Owens. Uh, we had to take his drums away." 
and it's not really a joke. It's just like a thing. No. It's it's too real. It's too real of a statement. That's, Is it more of a visual gag? It makes you question the inherent structure of jokes. Yeah, well, I think the problem is that's the first thing you see, and you're just immediately because we don't know what we're doing. We haven't we haven't seen them on the couch looking at slides. We're just all of a sudden we cut away from the last scene to a picture of young Kevin with a drum set, mm-hmm. and it's so shocking. And that's not it's not a joke, but there's a laugh. It, it's they it's very started. it's 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 just it's very discombobulating. They should have started with one of the shots of them on the couch and armchair, mm-hmm. respectively. And then, once we realize they're looking up at something, we could move into that. Yeah. The Ringo joke still wouldn't land. Yeah, because it's not really a joke. No, and so is this next one. Because this is even more horrifying, and I would request that the banner image, if you can get this for the mm-hmm. Facebook group, just have it be a million Bob Euchre babies. <laughs> Because that's all that's been burned into my brain. I can't close my eyes. I'm like Laura Wimsett. I've seen hours I, that I didn't know existed. Yeah, because all right, and because George says, "Oh, here's me as a baby," and like it's a picture, uh, it's a black and white photo of a baby, but with just Bob Euchre's face on it. An enormous Bob Euchre head on the tiny baby body. And it's and it's one. It's like if this was a different season, uh, and the way they react to it, it's like. Oh, is this supposed to be a Photoshop joke? Or are we yeah, supposed to... No, this actually is supposed to be the joke that this is what Bob Euchre looked like as a baby. Because that's I, do, that's what they're going for. They don't push it either way. Yeah. They just sort of laugh as if to say it could go either way. Yeah. But clearly, this is a joke from another show. Uh-huh. And we are moving even... I mean, nothing really has topped the alien <laughs> joke with Belvedere. I mean, that's... It all started with the seal. When Belvedere had a seal in his room, that's when you know that the show was going to take its turn slowly but surely. Yeah. But baby Bob Euchre, I mean, give me a break. I, we, I, we, I can definitely see that we're on the road to getting that episode where Mr. Belvedere is dressed up like the evil stepmother now. I see how that's going to happen. Oh, yes, easily. And the, 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 the arc that I thought these two characters were going to have together, because Wesley talks about sex so much in this episode. Mm-hmm that I thought there was going to be a different sort of cap on this little relationship these two have, Mm -hmm. where George would have to sit him down and be like, hey, buddy, like, let's talk about how you talk about women. I don't know why I thought that would happen coming from George's mouth Mm -hmm. or from a show from the the late 80s, but it it clearly didn't work out that way, and I was disappointed because they stopped watching the slides, and they want to do something else, but they're not sure what. And Wesley says, well, let's go to Atlantic City and pick up some cocktail waitresses. Right. I mean... If he had heard him talking about the double feature, and then later on Wesley is, like, seen gaping at Playboy tits. Uh-huh. I mean, this kid is, like, randy and ready to go, and this kid needs to be, like, sat the fuck down. Well, I think there's so much in we're playing that, that the Wesley character, he's a rascal. He's up to no good, but it's in a cute, endearing way. But I think the thing about this episode is they're trying to play it like a Wesley starting to grow up. Um, and there, there's a slight hint that this is sort of a, uh, this is the last, uh, uh, you know, dad and, and my, my young kid son, you know, me taking my kid out and having a, a fun time. Right. But they don't really go that way too much. No, that's exactly, that's, I, that's a better way of putting it than I, than I was doing before. Yeah, that dynamic of, like, George made me thinking, because he's had that plot with Heather to yeah. creepy effect. Mm-hmm. But the idea that, you know, yeah, this is Wesley, my little pal, my little guy, and oh, wow, like, he's, like, talking, like, dirty now, and he's, like, uh, did I just now remember that he ran, like, a like a like an entire business out of my living room? Right. 
I mean, I guess my kids have always been weird, but I've never heard them talk filth talk before. Exactly. So they decide to go on a fishing trip. And they're, they're going to go to the supermarket. Well, uh, let me just say, th- I feel like it's a little too soon to take Wesley to the lake. <laughs> I yeah. feel like bad things happened at the lake. Let's I maybe that, avoid the lake. I had a very quick, subtle thought of, oh, the the lake? You're, are you going to go scuba diving? Oh. Don't do that. Don't help Wesley dry off. Yeah. Give him his towel and let him do his thing. Don't look at him. Just let him do his thing. <laughs> so they go to the supermarket and... Uh, there's a there's a joke about how there's a fish special, and the fish is from New Jersey, which means there are no syringes, <laughs> no scales, no bones, no syringes. I mean, the whole supermarket is just this insane world. Yes, the character actors. The only sane person who I loved every second of her on camera was the black woman who was done with it. Yes, she was great. She's the only human being in the supermarket. Everyone else is a fucking batshit Looney Tune. And she just looks at all of it and goes, What? What is going on? <laughs> I've got... There's the little old lady who is nuts. Uh-huh. She walks like she has a, a porcupine up her ass. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I feel like she's probably some character actress that's probably been in a million things. And done that walk in every single Oh, yeah. Movie. Like, she's... I mean, like, she is like... Uh, uh, like, she's just about to scream, where's the beef? Oh, oh, very good point, yes. If she was the same woman, I would in no way be surprised. Yeah, absolutely. There's So there's the wacky manager telling the fish jokes. There's the, uh, the, the one black character in the entire series. Have we ever had another black character up until this point who spoke on camera? It's, uh, it's a huge question. It's, it's debatable. And we've got uh, Doris. Now, we meet Doris because at one point Wesley is told, Hey, uh, I'm going to go get some beer, Wes. Go over there and get some cookies and chips and snacks. I'm Bob Euchre. Mm-hmm. Wesley is horrified to realize there is a clear sign that someone else is in the supermarket. Because all of the cookies are gone. Well, one package. there's one package of cookies left and it's open. Yep. And all the donuts are gone. And they say to themselves, no, it's... they." It, the, the one kind of funny moment I thought was kind of great was they both kind of have this reaction of, no, it, it, it can't be. It can't be, Mr. Oh, God. I mean, just the idea that you can spot Belvedere being in the store because all the donuts are gone and a package of cookies is left open on, on the rack. I, I mean, like, that's clearly, like, that's the, that's the level we're at now. When we see... Smash cut to Belvedere standing next to Doris, the free sample lady. Mm-hmm. His cart is breaking under the weight of all of this food. Yeah. How is he buying this? How is he affording this? He's, he, he, he snatches, like, uh, a package of cookies away from, like, a kid that's, like, been left unattended. Oh, like a baby. Yeah. Like an infant child, like, in the seat of a cart. Yeah. And he's, like, eating the food, which you can't do. Uh, yeah. Well, and people do. I, I don't doubt it, but and this is when so I really noticed up. the actor who plays Mr. Belvedere is quite fat. <laughs> I hate to say it, but dude could have stood for his own health, not the character's health. Dude who plays Mr. Belvedere could have stood to lose a few pounds. Because, uh-huh. man, he's got a big old Winnie the Pooh tum-tum. <laughs> Doris is the free sample lady, as I've said, and she keeps sort of insinuating that maybe they have more going on than a love for cheese samples. Yeah. Belvedere says, well, I have never had you sit on my Ritz. Oh, boy. But, I, you know, I like we've had, we had this in the last episode, too. Like, Belvedere just, like, just using women. Yeah. Uh, sort of regarding them with a little bit of lust. Mm-hmm. 
But at the end of the day, he doesn't. He doesn't really care. Yeah, I, he's fine to throw them away. This is a very. This is a very uh, husky voiced uh, Kathleen Turner like. <clears throat> yes, I wrote down. I should have wrote down Kathleen Turner. I also wrote down Lauren Bacall. Uh huh. Definitely. So, uh, Catherine Hepburn is that also appropriate? Um, Did Catherine Hepburn have like a smoky husky voice? Uh, okay. I think uh, you're better. You're more accurate with the Kathleen Turner. Um, yeah, Doris is hot for teacher, and Definitely. school is in session. Um, at a certain point, uh, oh, I wrote down, I just wrote down, the fifth season is getting progressively nuttier. Yes. I because mean, this is, honestly, the, and also this just, this grocery store set, I mean, it's, you know, they really, they really went all out. Oh, yeah. It's, it's extensive as all hell. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean... I would have expected, like, a, you know, just, like, a very small, but they, I mean, we've got many aisles that we go through and lots of little corners in here. Yeah, it's it's very much like a, it's like a huge, they're, they're doing, like, a big unit set play at a certain point. Mm-hmm. They're getting all of these different perspectives and multiple moments are happening at the same time. I just want to, I want to know what this, where else is, because there's no way this is a one-time use set. Like, what, t- what, what pilot were they producing set in a grocery store or where, where was this before or oh, after? Man. Well, that makes me think of the side note that the thing I posted on the Facebook group about how the Saved by the Bell set has still been used to this day. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious because you look at all those photos and you go, yeah, that's clearly the same school. Yeah. The stairs are coming down just like always and the lockers have not moved an inch. Yeah. Everything just looks... What's so funny is that Saved by the Bell has its own ridiculous charm because it's so ridiculous and outdated looking. Mm-hmm. But then you look at these supposedly new hip shows and they already look so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Because no school in any show for kids ever looks like a school. <laughs> Everything just pops a little bit too much. And you think to yourself, no, this is a TV school. Yeah. If they went to a real school, it would be really depressing. Definitely. Um, but this is when in Belvedere, getting back to Belvedere, this is when the robbers show up. Yeah. Now, one of these robbers, uh, did you recognize immediately? Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, what did you know this guy from? His name is Larry Hankin. I could not place, and I still can't place what I pro- what I know him from best, but he's been in absolutely everything. Did you watch Breaking Bad? No. Okay, what I, the, the most recent credit that came to mind for him, I mean, he's got hundreds of them, of yeah. course. He's just one of those guys he has been working since he was probably 16. He played old Joe, who was the junkyard guy on Breaking Bad. He was in, like, at least nine or ten episodes. Mm-hmm. So, like, he had a fair, regular run as that character. Yeah. And when he popped up, I immediately thought, oh, there's no way you can mistake this guy for anyone else. Yeah. Um, he's he's one half of the Robert Dew, and then the other half is this sort of stockier guy who's a complete moron. Yeah. Uh, do you remember their code names they gave each other? I don't. I did not get the code names. It's not subtle, but uh, it's easy to miss. They they say that their code names are Bill and Ted. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Clearly post Bill and Ted film. Um. Can I can I point out uh, other guy? Uh, um. Oliver Clark. Um, he's well known for A Star is Born, Lost Souls, and Ernest Saves Christmas. I bet in Ernest Saves Christmas he played some sort of criminal. I would not be surprised. Well, I'm sorry, what were those other credits you listed? Um, hold on, let me just see. Oh, no, he did not. He played, he played Joe Carruthers in Ernest Saves Christmas, the guy that takes over and becomes the new Santa Claus. You were just filled with wonder and delight when you found I, that out. I was. I, like, I, yeah, because I... You assumed he played a no-good Nick. <laughs> I very much remember, and I can't believe... And now, of course, I recognize him. Um, well, that's just... That's a delight. <laughs> good good for him. He's probably dead now. But, you know, good for him. He got work. So these two come in, and they're they're planning on robbing the place. 
but they have an issue with getting into the safe, and ultimately it turns into a hostage situation. Yes. The old lady who is the worst, she reminded me of, you know, another little lady from our past. Oh, yes. I kept thinking of Maid Marian, uh, (laughs) a little old lady from Cincinnati who I saw a picture of her recently on, like, her, I think it was, like, her, if not 70th birthday, maybe her, like, 80th birthday. Wow. And I remember thinking to myself, yep, that's Marian. (laughs) Oh, Marian. Uh (laughs) She you know, still got it. There's some. There's just something about uh, when you're in college with non-traditional students. <laughs> cough, cough. Oh boy. Uh, especially uh, in a theater program. I remember her coming up to me every season uh, when the shows were announced, and she would go up to me and go, "Yes, there's an old lady. I've got it in the bag." <laughs> I mean, oh yeah. I, I, she got pissed one year though. Oh, she got pissed. Really. Because when we did Guys and Dolls my senior year, she assumed she was going to play the role of the uh, kind of the wise older woman in the Salvation Army who looks after Sarah Brown. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's like a blood relative, but she's this mentor figure. And Hannah Dowdy wound up playing that role. And Marion got so pissed because she kept saying, it's supposed to be an old lady. Well, no, not necessarily. Yeah. And also, stop. Yeah. You're being bizarrely specifically selfish. (laughs) Yeah. You're, Give it! You're, you're an old lady in a bachelor's degree for theater. Um, oh, man. I mean, I, 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 I like, there's a certain charm, and I, I'd love Marion, but, oh, boy. This old lady in the Belvedere episode is equally as silly, because she gets to deliver a joke that makes no sense to me. When she realizes they're hostages, she says, are we going to Beirut? Is that a reference to a, a recent event? Yes. It is? Yeah. Uh, should I feel dumb for not knowing this? Uh, well, I, I think, I... Th- I, I believe, uh, well, we were in, you know, the Iran uh, hostage crisis uh, times. Oh, fair enough. Sure, sure, sure. At the same time, even as a topical joke, it's a bit of a stinker. Oh, yeah. And it certainly doesn't translate over the course of 25 plus years. Yeah, I, but what what I do love is later when she, when she does say, I'm going to miss love connection. <laughs> That's oh, a joke no. I quite enjoyed. Oh, did, did you laugh yourself silly? <laughs> well, I just, I, I did laugh myself silly. <laughs> Oh, oh. I didn't realize it was so scary. Oh, it was. It was terrifying. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I man, Manzi's. I I forgot the love connection existed until that moment. Oh man, what a crazy idea for a show. Yeah, that to this day, probably if you kept it that simple, would be just as entertaining. Definitely, just the women being brought back into the studio and they're talking about these jerks who thought they were so cool. <laughs> And the jerks, you see him in the room just smiling like, yeah, I got it. I got it in a bag. <laughs> um, okay, so we at a certain point, we cut to the Owens household. Heather is doing her homework. Mm-hmm. She's listening to the radio. And there's some... Uh, there is a... There is a G music. There, she's listening to, like, a romantic soap opera on the radio. Is it? Or is it just, like... I thought it was this radio station or this, like, kind of like a radio four-hour block of romantic music that you could listen to in the bubble bath. I thought they said something like, uh, well, I think it was like a, we'll be back to, and it was something, and I I understood it to be. I wrote it down. The name of the, whatever this is, if it's a soap opera, if it's a block of music, they say, we'll be right back with the light touch of Lanzaroni. What? Okay. What are you talking about I, I, the I, light touch of Lanzaroni? It could be. I I was I like I did not hear the title, and I just it sounded like from the music and like the way the announcer was. I I took it to be a, a, like a radio soap opera, which I was confused because that's not a thing. 
It's definitely not a thing. And for it to be interrupted by a news report would be even stranger. Yes. Yeah, so it gets interrupted for this report about the hostage crisis at the supermarket day one. And Heather gets all contrite and she says, wow, you know, you hear about those poor people. What they don't seem to be really, they should be more freaked out that this is the supermarket right where they live. Right. There's like a crazy hostage situation at your local supermarket where you go all the time. That's pretty crazy. And she says, oh, it just makes you consider how some problems aren't that big of a deal. I didn't think that we were going to get a button on this. Mm -hmm. But Marcia says, oh, Heather, that's so great. Let me guess, the phone bill arrived. Fuck you, Marcia. Fuck you. But then Heather, th- that is the truth. Yeah. She was trying to manipulate her mother into feeling bad for hostages so the phone bill wouldn't seem that big of a deal. I, I mean, yeah. What a shitty joke. It is a shitty joke. I just still stand by, even if it is the truth, fuck you, Marcia, for again, like, uh, assuming the worst of your family. You know how they should have gotten uh, Kyle and uh, Kevin involved? Hmm. They. <laughs> I'm listening, Mr. Peacock here. You got 30 seconds. We'll make it good. Make it good, kid. Um, they should have. The robbers at one point should have had like Mr. Clux like bring delivery. Yeah. And Kevin should have just been like, "Oh, I'm here, Dad." <laughs> Wesley, but who's Mr. Belvedere? Is, is, is Mr. Clux even still a thing now? Because he's back in an apartment. So who the fuck knows? <sighs> I don't know. In that Fat Cat episode, I he was there to... That cat. I forgot all about that cat. Oh, God, that was such a crazy story. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure you covered it in extensive Definitely. detail. Um, so, yeah, Belvedere is upset because he broke his diet. Presumably the diet from the Fat Camp episode. Mm-hmm. And George has this... I thought it, they keep pulling the rug out from under me. I always think they're going to have these real moments uh-huh. where the characters are going to have a moment of realization and, you know, growth and development. Because George says... You know, Belvedere, I you liked that diet. I thought you were doing really well. And Belvedere just says, I, you know, I thought I could stick with it. But I think he talks about, like, having a void or that he's unhappy. Yeah, it's very strange. And then he admits to having a secret storage unit where he keeps uh, his snacks. It's under the expressway. Yeah. Now, my question to Belvedere is a person that also uh, has, currently has a storage unit. I wonder if he gets as many uh, uh, message, threatening messages filled with all caps and exclamation points as I do, because that's my current situation with my storage unit. Probably. I'm sure those storage unit facilitators are a, a, a teeth gnashing. Guys, I'm just going to take this moment to say, uh, uh, you know, if you happen to need to store things in the North Kentucky area, please stay away from key storage. Because those people are psychotic assholes that will raise your rent with three days' notice and then send you a barrage of uh, of weirdly like threatening emails filled with all caps and up to, at this point, 86 exclamation points in one email. Holy hell. And with each new email, there's more caps, more threats, and more exclamation points. I feel like you've been dealing with this storage company for a long time. Well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They've got my things. They kind of have all the power in the relationship. You're the Hatfields, they're the McCoys, and that storage unit is right in the middle. I just wanted to to get that off my chest. Sure, but uh, my point is, I thought this was going to be played as a real moment of connection, but it just winds up being a laugh moment. Yeah. Where the audience is supposed to go, oh, Belvedere's fat and he has cookies under the highway, and George doesn't know how to deal with it because Belvedere's fucking weird. That's funny. But no, this was not the setup. It ends with... This doesn't stand. Belvedere's upset and George... has to reach over and pat his hand condescendingly yeah and he's got this face like oh no i have to touch somebody but george brought it up 
Yeah. It's... And he brought it up realistically. Bob Euchre played it at first realistically. Bob, uh, Bob Euchre is really, like... Hit and miss. I, I, well, I mean, he... You know, we almost stopped watching the show originally because of Bob Euchre. Oh, sure. Because of that first season. It was very George-heavy. And now I feel like... He's really, I mean, he's having a good time now, I feel. He's maybe coming to his own, own a little like, bit. Like, he's having fun being, like, a comedic uh, sitcom actor guy. And, you know, I mean, for all the ridiculous mugginess of it, he's doing an 80s sitcom. But he's, I, it's a, he has a, he's really, I think he's really enjoying himself. But it is a bizarre, there is a bizarre series of choices he's making. Well, I'll say this for the actress who plays Marsha as well. They all do a better job when they don't have to take the direction from behind the camera of really spike this. Mm-hmm. We need we need a very sharp moment so we can move into the next portion of the show. And, you know, a sitcom in the 80s, it's going to have all those buttons. I mean, God knows we still hit those beats really hard sure. to this day. But I, I wish they would trust them a little bit more, too. Yeah. You could still play the moment as, like, George feels awkward, but George sort of just, he sneers and he looks to the heavens like Oika Vault. Mm-hmm. And I think after five years, we can maybe relax a little bit more. And it might be a better show as a result. It, it might be, but I will say, like, as opposed to the first season when he had to do things and it always seemed like Bob Euchre just felt uncomfortable as he and I hate to say this performer <laughs> well but yeah he, I feel well, he is comfortable in front of the camera at this point and when he does have to sneer you know and like really play it up I at least feel like he's having a good time right well yeah, I, my next note is for his conversation with Wesley, but in the meantime, we've got all of this nonsense with the robbers, how they are convinced that by making their situation politicized, they'll be taken more seriously. So they say they're fighting for the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. And as a result, Skip is sent in to cover the story, and I wrote down that I love Skip because he doesn't give a fuck. Yes. Skip is this sort of effeminate, probably gay guy who's just so over it. He's sick, and because George called in first, he had to cover the flower shop, the flower show, and now he's covering the hostage situation, which is ridiculous. The fact that they sent him in to cover a hostage situation with two armed men who are potentially crazy. I just love that Skip was thrown to the wolves for this, and he's so pissed off at George right now. (laughs) You know, I lo- I do love like that uh, the, the the hostage situation. Like these two guys with guns are are almost bizarrely unthreatening. Like I mean, oh yeah, you, you, and you know it's a sitcom, but like they're so goofy and like there's never a point where I feel really concerned at all about them. No, which I I, I think is I don't know. I even give them a I give them a credit to that. Yeah, I think their their definite arc is they walked in thinking, this is just going to be a robbery. We're going to get in, get out. But then once they're hostage takers, they're just, they're guys who can't really muster up that much yeah. evil in their hearts. Oh, also, and I just want to say, it's so funny. there's a bit going on where, like, uh, basically, I, I and I, they decide that, hey, we're going to be stuck in here a while. Uh, we're in a grocery store. We can eat food here. And there's a little bit where the manager, like, has a bit of a resistance, like, you can't eat the food here. This is a store. And he doesn't want to let the old lady use the restroom. It's a very strange situation. Yeah, we get a lot of vignettes. Like, a little, uh, not even vignettes, just little slivers of moments. Yeah. I, oh, my God. Fuck this manager. <laughs> Yeah, the manager is very strange. Uh, they get a they get a classic bathroom key joke because the key is attached to an enormous keychain. Ha ha ha! Some things will never change. Uh. Oh boy. So let's talk about the conversation that George has with Wesley. I forgot all about this, but I have it written down. It's it's inspired by the fact that Wesley played hooky. Mm-hmm. 
but I really thought it was going to be about Wesley's relationship and his perspective on women. Well, yeah, because George comes over to see him looking at a Playboy centerfold. And he says, what are you looking at that for? And Wesley's like, well, I, I don't know. I'm just like, I, w- I woke up one day and suddenly women were interesting. Yeah. And George doesn't know how to deal with that. So instead he asks a different question, which is, what, why were you playing hooky? The way this is worded is very strange. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but make a connection back to the counselor episode. Uh-huh. So Wesley's in junior high. He's not in high school yet. Right. He's like 13 years old. He says that they have to take gym now. And after gym, you have to go to the locker room and you have to take a shower. The way they phrase this is very odd. Because he says that there are a lot of... He doesn't want to walk around taking a shower naked with a bunch of big, hairy guys. Yeah. And George consoles him in part by saying, you know, one of these days you'll be one of those hairy guys. Yeah. I'm very, very confused. Ugh. There seems to be this... It makes no sense, but the implication seems to be he's in junior high. Like, who are these hairy men? Well, they're not going to like a gym off site. That wouldn't make any sense. Well, no, but it's just, I men. mean, yeah, he's in junior high, though, so kids are starting to go through puberty. Hairy guys, though? What does that even mean? Like, even in junior high, like, who are these big hairy guys Wesley's around? I, yeah, but I think... I, Eighth graders? They, I think there is, like, a thing. Because, I, I mean, we never had to shower in middle school. Uh, you only, mm-hmm. I think you only had to shower if you, like, played a sport or something after school. Um, but I, I do... But I feel like from other shows and things, I've I've heard things about, like, uh, like people being intimidated because other dudes, like, had gone... Were going through puberty... And sure. then, like, you know, there are these kids that have not, and, like, they just feel uncomfortable because then they're comparing themselves to other dudes, and it's weird. Would you, would you agree that, at least in this situation, it's the, the explanation Wesley gives is murky at best? Yeah. Okay, I think I just think another pass at this would have helped to it's, focus uh, it yeah, a Yeah, it's, more. I mean, well, it's because also, like, you know... We don't. We don't want Terry's mom freaking out um, and turning off the television again. Uh. Exactly. Oh my god. Oh my god. I. So yeah. He's. That's the whole situation. He didn't want to go to school because he didn't want to go go into the showers. And George sort of just ties it up in a bow by saying, you know, don't worry about it. One of these days you'll be a big hairy guy yourself, and then you won't have any problems at all, right, son? And Wesley kind of goes, I guess. Yeah, and that's that. And then George um, uh, gives him the advice: "Or you could do, you could do what I did. Uh, instead of showering with those big hairy guys, sneak oh in and shower God. with the girls." That is so fucked up. Yeah, I forgot about that. That is just. <sighs> you think they're gonna deal with the sexual politics, and then they do mm-hmm. in a way that disturbs you even more. Yeah, I mean, fuck this, fuck the decade of Porkies. First of all, yeah, fuck Porkies and all that it fucking rot. Throw all those fucking movies in the incinerator. That's fucking bullshit. Um, it's like, yeah, ugh. yeah, definitely. Uh, meanwhile, um, there has been a moment where uh, Belvedere and uh, um, Sample Lady have like snuck off to like bang it out in a bathroom or something. Did they? Oh yes. I didn't get that implication. Oh yeah, we because yes, because we actually we see them like like during a scene transition. We actually see them. They're like making out, and then they like stumble off and go into like a, another room. Oh my god! And then at the end, really must have had the, my head turned. At the end of this conversation, George and Wesley are having. Uh, Belvedere's coming back in, and he's like tucking his like uh, his vest in and adjusting, Whoa. putting his tie back on. Well, she has a whole fit by the kind of deli case about how no one sees her as anything but 
a giver. Yeah. And there's a certain point where she wants to take, take, take. And this is after they fooled around? No, no, no. This is this is when that happens. Okay. All right. So strange that I missed that beat. Yeah, that's happening over there. And at a certain point, the robbers say, okay, well, our demands aren't being met, so we're going to make a break for it. Well, we need a- this is no, This is where Skip comes in. Oh yeah, Skip and comes in. I want to point. I just want to point out that Skip recognizes George uh, apparently by his ass. Yes, George is hiding under one of the little checkout conveyor belts. Yes, and Skip, who is a gay man, yes, knows an ass, even an unattractive one, when he spots it. I just, I like, I feel like that's they're re- they're really just barely, barely holding it's back ridiculous. the commentary at this point. I skip. I mean, Skip is gay. I don't oh, think we're supposed to no. misread that as anything else. Yeah, and he's just very. Uh, well, he's like one of the giants from a Snow White Christmas. Yeah, in that he's gay, but at the same time, all we're really allowed to say is he's persnickety. Exactly. He's fussy. Exactly. He likes to keep a clean home, if you know what I mean. I think I a clean butthole. Is that what you mean? Oh. Yes, that's what we mean. Oh, Skip. I love when Skip is. He's like. Uh, you know, he's, he's complaining to George about the whole, you know, flower thing. And Belvedere jumps in and he's like, who the hell is this? Well, it's my, it's my housekeeper. How the fuck do you afford a housekeeper? <laughs> I don't even live in a house. That's what he says. <laughs> Poor Skip. I love it. I do. Poor Skip is trying to keep the attention of like a 24-year-old guy who like really can't stand him. Yes. I just love, I just love someone finally pointing out how the fuck do, do they afford a housekeeper? Yeah, because you know, you know most of the people in their lives probably don't even realize that's the case. <laughs> and you've had them for five years? God, you guys are weird. You're a weird fucking family. Um, so yeah, I, I think now we can safely say the, ho- the, the robbers want to take a hostage with them. Mm-hmm. And they grab someone first, and that's not going to work out for whatever reason. I forget who that person is. And then they grab Wesley. Yeah. Now that's the moment, even more than the going up to the lake... Even more than mm-hmm. the being uncomfortable around other naked dudes, wet naked dudes, uh, there's a scary adult grabbing Wesley. Yeah, yeah. And George doesn't really freak out the way you'd think he would. Like, he's, don't get me wrong, he says, no, 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 no. You're not taking my fucking kid. If you're going to take anyone, you're going to take me. But the way Bob Eucher plays it, it's a little too light. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a moment there where I, I feel like the second they touch, or they lunge near the kid, I, it's a... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Larry Hankin, like, to be fair, he doesn't, like, he doesn't grab him. Right. Again, these guys still, even in this, don't seem very threatening at all. But the fact that they think to take a kid is, that's on some level kind of fucked up, mm-hmm. isn't it? Definitely. Uh... And so Belvedere breaks into the... This is when the show... I thought the show was taking such a whiplash turn. I actually thought that the episode was going to end on a message of staunch liberal environmentalism. Uh, Yeah. But it's ultimately played as a trick. Right. Because Belvedere is just tricking these two guys into thinking, you know, if you go into prison and you do your time and you do a letter campaign... You know, maybe you can solve acid rain. You ever think about that? He's tricking them, but the way the actor delivers it is so—it is sincere. Because it's—I mean—it's such a jump that they have to make, and it's—and there's also a weird moment where they're like, you know, we've been in prison before. We were happy there once. Weird. There's there's a weird implication that that they're lovers. That they are lovers. They Um, had a life together. And Belvedere just goes with this whole thing. Like, no, no, take me. Uh, You know, if. If the acid rain doesn't kill me, uh, uh, the lead the lead in the preservatives of these donuts will. So it might as well be the lead from bullets. 
It's so stark. It is. Like, and, and, it's, he's, and it also he's seems... He's tying it into his diet, too. Yeah, and it seems like it's coming from a second for a place like where Belvedere is really like, you know, I'm so upset with my, my weight problem and my eating habits that I, I, I'm, I'm willing to die because of it because this is what I deserve. It is a dark moment. So, so strange. Um, you're right. This episode is a lot more insane than I initially gave it credit yeah. for. Yeah. And the, the the robbers completely take it at face value, and they they presumably run outside to be apprehended by the fucking cops. Uh, because and it's this whole thing. Well, I guess maybe somebody could do something about this. You know, I thought you guys were doing something about it by by staging this uh, hostage situation to get people interested in the environment. I don't know. Maybe if you were in prison, you could start a letter writing campaign and actually push for some change. It, it's like whoa, whoa, I, 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 what? Thin logic. I mean, it, even for these, even for these two dumb robbers, for them to totally buy it is pretty crazy. It's, I mean, I like, I am barely keeping up with the sentences being said. It, oh yeah, it's like it's like an Emmy clip for Mister Bel- Mister Belvedere. Yeah, like this is the monologue that they would show at his like dedication. Uh, so they go, and Doris has this final moment with Belvedere where she says, I, "I, you know, I'm sorry about my tantrum that I threw by the deli case. It's just." It'd be nice to know that a man saw me as more than just a plate of cheese. Beat? There's a beat. Belvedere stone cold looks at her and says, Not interested. Yeah. She's like, Fuck off, is, Doris. She says, is, is there a chance that maybe there's something more between us than just cheese? Beat? No. Not at all. Yeah. Oh. Turns. <laughs> what? The audience is baffled. <laughs> like, they are just, they're floored. They're like, Mr. Belvedere! You fucking rat fink. I mean, last week he was fucking BB like the gun. Um, because, uh, she ain't Sarah Lee, but she'll do. You know, oh my god, he did say that. He uses women. You know, Brad, the women he really likes are his harem. Yeah. Those buxom blondes from the film Bikini Boobies. (laughs) He loves them because they don't ask any questions. Mm -hmm. He pays them for their time, their escorts, they dress up in crazy outfits, and they call him... King Mecca Mecca High Mecca Heine Ho or whatever the fuck. But he doesn't have time for these real women. He leads them on. I think BB was one second away from being a misery style character. Definitely. Like tying him up and force feeding him pizza while breaking knees. Oh man. Uh, The outro is inside the storage facility. Yeah. We get the set shaking because the cars are throwing it into disarray. He's writing in his journal, which is just fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. And he makes a joke about how if he's going to start his diet anew, he's going to have to get rid of his inventory. So many cookies. Uh, yeah. Like, he's drowning in cookies. It is a mountain. Now, what's so funny is that the YouTube comments for this video make the point that, you know, he's made a Sarah Lee joke and he takes, like, shortbread, I think, from that one little kid. And as we all know, the actor was in a Sarah Lee commercial, which is the funniest fucking thing. In the world. You've seen that, right? I believe so. It's been a while. I, I think I posted it on the group. Yeah. Um, it's easy to look up, but he just keeps saying throughout the whole episode, Who took the Sara Lee? Oh. Who took my Sara Lee that I left out just for me? It's a poem. And this little girl like appears in the frame and she's like, Me. <laughs> <laughs> I took it. And he's like, Oh, all right. Who took the Sara Lee? It's so, just so goofy. Um, and also, Sara Lee looks disgusting, and I would never put it in my mouth. <laughs> Gross sponge cake bread. Get it out of my fucking face. Um, and of course, over the credits, we didn't get any good clips of commercials. This person, whoever uploaded it, God, God love him for putting in the work. 
I wish someone had done that with all a full house, but it's not the mm-hmm. case. Um, we don't get a lot of commercial clips, and I wish they had just uploaded them with the commercials. Yeah. Now, I would have watched that and reported on every second of it. Absolutely. But the only thing we get, really, is, of course, over the credits, we hear Ted Koppel say, A new gag rule in Great Britain. That's it. Yeah. That's all we got. We didn't get a, this, the, what was it, the Slap Maxwell story? Or a TV movie about dolphins? <laughs> Come on, like, what? I want to know what else is playing that night in, like, Seriously. The late 80s. Uh, Come on. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I, I, as I think has been made clear, I think the whole reason we started Belvedere was purely out of curiosity because of that commercial um, that's from my, uh, you know, 80s copy of Muppet Family Christmas. Oh, the one that advertises the Cinderella episode. Yes. As well as, we brought it up so many times, what is the detective show where he's an old white man and she's an Asian lady? Uh, Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. And what do they say? They're a, mis- they're a strange pair. Uh, yeah, a mismatched pair or something, something. I, I, just, I just remember like the, well, what, are you, what are you calling me, a bimbo? Round heels? Floozy? All right, this ain't a sing-along. Oh, man. Uh, Streaks on the China. Maybe they did matter before. <laughs> we cared. <laughs> And that's Mr. Belvedere. <laughs> yes. All right, question. Best dressed, worst dressed? Oh, goodness. Nothing really stuck out to me. I, You know what? In terms of slick coolness, mm-hmm. best dressed, I'd say, is Wesley in his Blues Brother outfit. All right. All right. He's, he's looking like a... He looks like a Blues Brother, which is kind of goofy. But yeah. He's got a look, and it's not—it's not some ugly '80s pattern. Definitely. Um, as I'm scanning through the video, looking at fashions really quickly as a review, um, I do—I do have to mention there was the moment when they first come to rob the the grocery store, and the the terrible clerk is like paper or plastic. Oh, that yeah, oh. paper or plastic, man. Worse. What's he wearing? Uh, I, he's just terrible. I just wanted to point out that oh, terrible just, joke. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It joke. just needs to be pointed out. I might say a uh, worse dressed. Uh, might be uh, uh, um, Ernest Day's Christmas Santa um, because of the weird stains on his trench coat. He's a very filthy robber. He's, of the two of them, he is yeah. decidedly sleazier. So we're, wait a minute. So we're going to give worst dressed to a guy who's so down on his luck that he's having to like rob a supermarket? I don't know if we could really uh, give him a lot of leeway there. I, I think we should, I should say. I mean, well, I see just compared to the other the other fellow, I feel he's... But they're but they're both so down on their luck. Well, they, you know, I, I I don't think you do you do not have sympathy for people who are down on their luck. Do you remember that monster who just wanted free Starbucks food? I do. That woman was was holding on to her life by a thread. Yeah. Let's give it to someone like let's give it to the, like I don't know. I, what about I mean, the I could, crazy I could also, old lady. Uh, I could also be open to Marsha once again wearing Captain Kangaroo outfit. You're not gonna, you're not going to give it to her three times running. <laughs> She's already run that. She's already won that award for the Captain Kangaroo outfit many times. <laughs> it's a pretty bad um, outfit. Um, give it to the old lady for like just being such a goofy looking late. I feel I, like her outfit was made entirely of yarn. I feel, but I feel like that's central casting old lady. Like I don't feel that's particularly heinous. But those two are central casting robbers. Yeah, I feel like just, his trench coat. It like the the pla- the, the placing of the stains are especially troubling. <laughs> Now they both they both have like you know messed up stuff, but he's got the trench coat. It's like it's like buttoned up all the way. There's like stains on the shoulders. You expect a robber to be fashionable. If you're going to be robbed at a supermarket, you want them to be chic. I ju- well, the question is worst best dressed, worst dressed. It's not necessarily a judgment of their character or their situation. <laughs> it's purely how they're dressed. 
Um, we I, also have, I mean, you're drawing some stark lines We here. also have, uh, well, okay, what about George in his fishing attire and the crazy patterned shirt that's under that fishing vest? See, that's hard for me, too, because, I mean, fishing? I mean, how are you going to judge fishing fashion? I, I mean, well, the bigger question to me is the shirt that's under the, the fishing vest, which uh-huh. is this strange pattern with these green um, sleeves. Could, could I make a case for when Wesley is watching the slide presentation with George, isn't he wearing some sort of, like, top-to-bottom creamsicle number? Um, he's basically it's he's like taken off the off jacket. White. He's taken off the jacket and tie from his uh, Blues Brothers outfit. Can Wesley win both worst dressed and best dressed? Um, I've got a candidate for either one. Kevin, oh, sure. young uh, Ringo uh, Owens. Let's give it to Ringo. That could be Ringo best Owens or worst or dressed. I, I say worst dressed is either Ringo Owens or Baby Bob Euchre. <laughs> Baby Bob Euchre looks off. Baby Bob Euchre isn't dressed, though, except wearing a bonnet. That's it. Okay. Done and done. Nothing but a bonnet. That is pretty bad. Yep, baby Bob Uecker. Yeah, okay. You're a monstrosity. That head ripped out of his mother's vagina and, like, left her for dead. All right. For the bonnet, we'll give it to baby Bob Uecker. Yeah, baby Bob Uecker's bonnet. <laughs> All right. That's the warm-up I do before concerts. All right. That was a, that was a heated uh, best dress, worst dress. Yes, it was. But who won and who lost the episode? I think the losers are the robbers. Because they're going to prison, and no one will ever see them again. They're going to be mm-hmm. in jail for the rest of their lives. They might be able to continue the lives they had before they left, mm-hmm. but they're never going to be taken seriously. Truth. Their lives will slowly become embittered. Yeah, and they aren't getting out of prison in 8 to 10 years uh, after holding Ooh. hostages, including a, a young child. No, especially in this heated yeah. era where hostages are the norm. Exactly. And uh, two beloved uh, news anchors. Yep. Uh, I think they lose, and I think Belvedere wins because, you know, despite his, you know, moment of, you know, revealing depression, mm-hmm. Belvedere gets a lot in this episode. Mm-hmm. He gets a lot of free food mm-hmm. that he doesn't have to pay for, and he gets to uh, pork belly Doris. Yes. In the freezer, in the meat freezer, and he gets to Stone Cold Rejector on his terms. Definitely. He walks out of that place a better man. I, I do I do want to... In his mind, at least. I, I agree, absolutely. We'll give it to Belvedere. I do want to point out one thing, though, that you said. You said he got a lot of free food. But at the end of this episode, after the hostage situation, we see some of these people that have been hostages, like, checking out at the grocery store. And I just feel like this company, like, you just write it off as a loss and give these people whatever the hell they were shopping for. But you think they were making them pay for they it? They were, because we see them, like, you know, scanning out, like, imp- like they hold up a bag. I think it's the old lady oh, that's checking out, and they scan it, and they, and they shake the bag like, this is empty, and they scan it and move on. I may, well, I'm, maybe they're taking an inventory, and they're not going to charge them, but I feel like this asshole uh, supermarket manager uh, forced these people to pay for things. Can we consider how the timeline of this episode makes absolutely no sense when you consider Heather and Marsha back at the house? Yeah. They say day one of the hostage crisis. That clearly went on for a while. Well, no, I think and the day... neither of them think it's weird that they're not back at the house. I, I think the day one is just a joke about the Iran hostage situation. Uh, but in the reality of the show, I think the idea is that they are in day one of, of this fictional crisis. Right. But Heather and Marsha are back home. And neither of them thinks to themselves, hey, where's Wesley? Or, hey, where's George? Yeah. Ever. <laughs> Or do we think that they're just going to go home and never mention well, this Well, I mean, to them? we see them so briefly that I think the fact that George and Belvedere are also not there, it's like, oh, okay, they could have picked up Wesley and... 
I know, but the second you show anyone outside of that supermarket, you beg the question. Definitely, definitely. Like, I don't know, it's that if lazy seen, writing of like... Yeah, but we only... If we had seen them for any longer, then I think there might have been more of a question, but... Why did we need to see them at all? We didn't see Kevin at all. Yeah. We certainly didn't need a callback to Marsha and Heather for that awful phone bill joke. Yeah. Ugh, gross. So the robbers lose. Belvedere I wins. say Belvedere still wins because he got to eat. I feel like he snuck out. Oh, there. definitely. I don't think he paid for it. Definitely. He didn't fucking pay for it. And he got to stone cold put a hand up to Doris's face and go, nuh-uh, honey. Yeah. I'm a one-man Belvedere. I'm rolling out of here. Definitely. Definitely. And he got to eat all those cookies. He did indeed. In his uh, storage facility. He's He presumably ate all of those over the course of one night. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Diabetic coma. <laughs> yeah. I can't feel my feet. <laughs> Oh, don't doubt it. That's Belvedere. Ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to the end of another sterling episode of the Ramjack podcast. There are many ways you can reach us. Brad, the best example I can think of is the voicemail. Absolutely. You can call us at 206-339-5894 with whatever kinds of questions, queries. Uh, do you need advice? Do you have thoughts about the shows? Whatever. Just call us. We got a few voicemails this week. So I feel let's jump into this. Sure. Hey, Ramjack, Paul Mackey. Um, in the, uh, actually, the alternative freeze, freezer room is uh, the uh, source library or something like that. I don't know exactly what this is. This is the room sort of near the freezer room. The freezer room's locked. I have a key, but I just didn't want to unlock it, so uh, whatever. Anyways, uh, update on the Laura Wimsett book. I put in with my local library a request for a, uh, a library transfer. Of course, I'm in Minnesota, and the book is very far away from me. I, uh, I specifically linked, found it online at the Owensboro Library, and linked that to my, my local library as uh, they asked for where you've heard about a book that you're requesting. Uh, and I have gotten a reply back since that they, uh, they A, do not plan to purchase the book, as though they could, and B, they uh, were unable to get a transfer. So I believe that book is being locked securely away at the Owensboro Library from uh, being ever loaned out to anybody else. Perhaps they heard there's a bounty on it. Oh, I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, anyways, um, that's it. I wasn't able to get it. They, uh, they officially sent me an email saying they would not be able to get it for me. So, uh... Back in your court. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah. What is with this book? All right. And update. I also, uh, we, I'd also, uh, we put in a uh, request, and about a week and a half ago, we got word that none of the three libraries uh, were, were willing to lend it out. That is so crazy to me. Yeah. What value does this book hold? I don't know. It, it, I, I've said it so many times on this show for so many reasons. That does not make sense. I agreed. I feel like at this point, the options are we've got to find some kind of like used bookstore in the area that might randomly have a copy, or we get one from Laura somehow, or we actually go to these libraries and copy the whole thing there. Because my plan was to get it, uh, you know, in our library alone, and then just scan it all, and then do like an optical recognition, and then just we would have it. Oh, sure. And, I mean, as I've said before, the, probably the easiest solution would be if I was ever in Owensboro, I could just walk into that library. And, I mean, what's going to happen? Is, is this book so under lock and key that they're going to say, you may look at the book, but there is no touching of the book, no copying I of the book. The book is sacred. I think the problem lies in that it, there aren't, you know, there are a few copies, um, and... 
and it's uh, because two of the places are, uh, I think, uh, university libraries. And if the book, if like there aren't multiple copies, they just don't lend it out. But you, I'm sure you can check it out there. It's just they don't make it available for interlibrary loan because it's impossible to replace <laughs> because there are so few copies. Yes, and we know that we can't go to Laura. I've tried yeah. that. She was useless, utterly. I'm, useless. I'm, I'm still like I'm, I'm still I'm plotting. I've been plotting together like a, a just a really over the top email uh, with a concocted story because I feel like she probably has a couple of copies, but she you just need a good enough story, and that's what I'm working on currently. Um, maybe I can like get her to like get off her ass and get into her attic and get like a copy. That's my current plan. But other than that, I would say if anybody listening is like a college student. Maybe you'll have better luck with an interlibrary loan because they would be, might be willing to lend to another university. If you're a college student in the state of Kentucky, I think you'd have an even better Definitely. Chance. But if you're a college student of any chance, I would say please try. Like, just get this book. You can just, like, scan it. it I, yeah, it might take a little while, but it's worth it. Paul, I thank you for the effort. I'm glad that you... I've tried looking at those websites, and I'm surprised that you were able to navigate them because they are so Mm old-fashioned and strange that the fact that you were even able to set up the request is more than I could figure out. Well, we actually... I I never thought it would would involve this much work. We went to to, uh, Orlando, uh, like the main Orlando library, and they've stopped doing interlibrary loan, which I think is insane. Like, you're a library. One of your jobs is to be able to get books. And they like, yeah, because you have to pay like a fee to be part of the interlibrary loan system. And they're like, yeah, oh not enough people were doing it, so we just stopped doing it. Fuck you. Great. So uh, we went to another library, and they, they were very helpful, and they did it, but then we just got noticed that, yeah, we can't get the book. Man, this book is just, it's under lock and key. We gotta get it. We gotta get it. All right. Next voicemail. All right. Hi, Ram Jack. This is Alex, once again, MIA, sadly, from this recording of Ram Jack. And I... <laughs> I absolutely love this episode of Mr. Belvedere. Season 5, again, is, is the season where everything takes a change. Like back in season 1, or beginning of season 2, when the television show changed and me and Brad decided to uh, keep watching it because it got good. Well, it just took, I, guys, a full throttle. This, uh, Belvedere is quickly becoming one of my favorite shows ever. So, in an episode of pure zaniness, uh, in this episode, Hookie, my favorite uh, little of many, I guess little skits or side uh, stories that they do is Belvedere and the Cheese Lady. It is awesome. <laughs> I love the build-up where Belvedere's making small talk with her, a little bit of sexual innuendo around the cheese and a Ritz cracker um, to where it builds in the hostage situation of her thinking it's just her last moments and how she throws herself at Belvedere and then Belvedere uh, basically turning her down and shutting down her dream or fantasy. Um, it's pretty wild. It's pretty cool. Um, and I'm just glad to be a part of it all. Thank you, guys. Uh, absolutely love the last episode of just the two of you. Um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, coming back on the show next week. I love you guys. Bye. He's not wrong. <laughs> true, true. That episode was pure zaniness, and that subplot with Doris, as we've established, is is pretty fucked up. <laughs> absolutely. In fact, I think we actually have another message from Alex here. Hey guys, this is Alex again. I'm so sorry. I, I'm driving presently and I got distracted. And I didn't need to mention some of the other things about the episode that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, first off, I love the Belvedere impressions at the beginning. As someone who <laughs> likes to think he demands a very interesting, if enough, um, you know, a nice take on Belvedere. Uh, I absolutely love George. I don't know what the fuck he was doing. And of course, little Wesley T's impression, absolutely amazing. Um, and what about fucking Belvedere hiding out near the interstate in his little bunker? And he has, like, a fucking, like, dessert bug out. Crazy. 
But I love it. I love you guys. Hey, have a good episode. Talk to you soon. <laughs> I feel like Alex is Alex is like the uh, the erstwhile dad, like on the road calling. In. <laughs> hey, Merry Christmas, guys! Uh, Mom gave you the presents, right? Uh, I love you. I love you so much. Oh, here's some here's something. <laughs> Alex, we love you, and I can never replace you because you're too tall. Indeed. Um, can I, I just want to just peel back the curtain a little bit. Um, you know, uh, we weren't sure if Alex was going to be free to record. I sent him a message to let him know that, you know, recording was happening tonight, and I finally heard back from him. Um, we, re- we started recording at 8.30. Uh, I get a message, uh, 7.55. Uh, he's, he's, he's in. He's ready to go. At 8.02, he's like, drat. Can't now. I'll send him a voicemail. Oh, Guys, Dad. Um, if you have any thoughts to what happened in those seven minutes, please email those, and we'll see if you're right. Do you remember the game Mystery Minute? Well, this is Mystery Seven Minutes. So if you've got a theory of what happened in the seven minutes, uh, let us know, because mystery... Aw, oh, Dad was supposed to come to my ballet recital. <laughs> I'm on my way. Drat. Can't make it. Sorry, kids. <laughs> Daddy's coming, eventually. <laughs> Brad, there are other ways that... Listeners out there can reach you and Alex. Absolutely. There is the email. What's that email? It's ramjackpodcast at gmail.com. Also, um, you can hit us up on Twitter at ramjackpodcast. There is the official website for the show. That's ramjackpodcast.com. And if you want to check out the wiki, just type in ramjackpodcast.com slash wiki. It's a fun time. There's the Facebook group. There's a lot of stuff on the Facebook group. Go to it and join. And also... Um, Give us a review on iTunes. Hit that up. Leave some stars. All of the stars. Mm. Pull the stars from the heavens and place them onto your computer, shall we? Take them away from Morpheus and uh, put them in the iTunes. God, Morpheus, the dark land of slumber. (laughs) God, I... Oh, boy. And if you want to check out another podcast, check out How Rude, the Full House podcast featuring myself, uh, my friend Brandon Chogney, and our cavalcade of guests. We're breaking down Full House, and we are available through iTunes now, so subscribe today if it pleases you. I just listened to the first episode, and it is a delight. Yeah, you hear that? Eh? You dummies. Get on it, people. If they want to find you on Twitter, how could they do that? Oh, that's a very good question. I, although I don't think I've gained too, too many new followers lately. <laughs> All of the, I think, hardcore Ramjack Twitter users have since subscribed to me. Uh, but if, if you're new to the game, my Twitter handle is J-O-N-P-E-R-N-I-S-E-K. Hurrah. Guys, if your mom's is giving you uh, issues about seeing your bishop, like, don't get stressed out about it. Like, if she tries to pull that nonsense, you just sit back with your friends and laugh yourselves. <laughs> You all know the Bible is made of testaments old and new. You've been told it's just those two parts, or only one if you're a Jew. But what if I were to tell you there's a fresh third part out there, which was found by a hip new prophet who had a little Donny Osmond flair. Have you heard of the All-American Prophet?
back to biblical times, 1823. An American man named Joe living on a farm in the Holy Land of Rochester, New York. You mean the Mormon prophet Joseph Smith? That's right, that young man spoke to God. He spoke to God? And God said, Joe, people really need to know that the Bible is in two parts. There's a part three to the Bible, Joe. And I, God, have anointed you to dig up this part three that is buried by a tree on the hill in your backyard. Wow, God says go to your backyard and start digging. That makes perfect sense. Joseph Smith went up on that hill and dug where he was told. And deep in the ground, Joseph found shining plates of gold. What are these golden plates? Who buried them here and why? Then appeared an angel. His name was Moroni. I am Moroni, the all-American angel. Anybody see these plates except for you? They are only for you to see. Even if people ask you to show the plates to them, don't just copy them onto normal paper. Even though this might make them question if the plates are real or not, this is sort of what God is going for. Joseph took the plates home and wrote down what he found inside He turned those plates into a book, then he rushed into town and cried Hey, God spoke to me and gave me this blessed ancient tome He had commanded me to publish it and stick it in every home Wow, so the Bible is actually a trilogy? And the Book of Mormon is Return of the Jedi? I'm interested Now, many people didn't believe the prophet Joseph Smith they thought he'd made up this part three that was buried by a tree on the hill in his backyard. Liar! But Joe said, This is no lie. Speak to God all the time, and he told me to head west. So I'll take my part three from the hill with the tree. Feel free if you'd like to come along with me to the promised land. The promised land? Paradise on the west coast. Nothing but fruit and fields as far as the eye can see. Have you heard of the all-American prophet? Searching for that place to settle down But every time they thought they'd found it They got kicked out of town And even though people wanted To see the golden plates Joseph never showed up I have maggots in my scrotum Um, okay Well anyway Now comes a part of our story that gets a little bit sad On the way to the promised land Mormons made people mad Joseph was shot by an angry mob And knew he'd soon be done You must lead the people now My good friend Brigham Young Oh God, why are you letting me die? Without having me show people the plates They'll have no proof I was telling the truth or not 
They'll have to believe it just cause. Oh, I guess that's kind of what you were going for. <gasps> the prophet Joseph Smith died for what he believed in, but his followers, they kept heading west. And Brigham Young led them to paradise, a sparkling land in Utah they called Salt Lake City. And there, the Mormons multiplied and made big Mormon families, generation to generation, until finally, they made me. And now it's my job to lead you where those early settlers were led long ago. All American!